one fucking one band one fucking woman show and i can barely do this one do you understand i am like holding this together with fucking glue and paper clips and 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 like the tiniest amount of spit and a kylie lip kit that i've had for five fucking years everybody <laughs> welcome to this yet another episode of busy phillips is doing her best i am the titular busy phillips <laughs> <laughs> joined today per usual as as usual as, i don't even know i was gonna i don't know what i was gonna say um my dear dear casey saint on hello and we're so thrilled today because we get to have a new guest, co-host, a dear friend, a lovely human. We all know her and love her, and you do too, Ashley Nicole Black. Hi. The woman voted by Stacey Abrams most <laughs> likely to play me in a biopic. Do you guys say biopic or biopic? Okay. Bio, I say biopic, biopic, but I feel like fancy people started biopic. People say biopic. biopic. Just a I few know. years ago. Like Just a few a years trick. ago. You know what I think it is? I think it's a case of one of those, like, um, somebody in a high position of power said it incorrectly, and then everybody else was like, oh, we've been saying it wrong the whole time. It's biopic. <laughs> yeah, it's, bi- it's, it's biopic now. Because it's biopic. He's so right, it's a real gift situation because it's like, it's like, it's a biographical picture. So yeah. why? biopic. Biopic. A biopic. Yeah. Why would it and be just a biopic? To be clear, Stacey Abrams said that Ashley should play Stacey Abrams, not that Stacey Abrams didn't say that Ashley should play Busy Phillips in a biopic. Which I would biopic. also be prepared to do. She would <laughs> honestly do a beautiful job either way. I agree. I agree. Yeah, my kids were stoked, Ashley, by the way. They were like, they told me before anyone, they both came a-running to tell me. <laughs> I believe, I feel like I broke the news in the group chat. I'm so sorry, Casey. You did, you did bring it up in the group chat, but I, my, my, yes, my children knew. You know how they, they're real. They're on top of it. Political they really news are. Hounds. Yeah. They really yeah. are. Yeah. I'm just Can't excited wait to vote she remembers for one my name. I mean, it's exciting. Let's Everybody does. And you're also making Busy Phillips is doing her best history because you're the first person to ever have been a guest and a guest host. Wow. Oh, I feel like I should be holding a little trophy. She's like, I would like to thank <laughs> my very free schedule for making this possible. <laughs> well, you have your Emmy right behind you, so you could yeah. just <laughs> snatch it up and pretend. You have your Emmy on one side and your Swiffer on the other. <laughs> Ashley, so I'm just I'm feeling <laughs> I'm feeling like you're so well rounded. Anyway, this is domestic bliss right here. Also, kudos for recognizing the top one third of a Swiffer. That's- Guys, I'm gonna take a picture because we all know the top one third of a Swiffer. You know what I mean? That's not even but- the pertinent part. <laughs> okay, I got a pick. I got a pick. Now point to the Emmy over your left shoulder. There it is. There it is. Okay, Emmy on one side. Swiffer on the other. That's how we live our lives, guys. It's Hollywood. <laughs> Being a lady. It's Hollywood. Guys, speaking of Hollywood, I did the most 
amazing, insane table read. I can't talk about it, but it is really funny. And it talks about Hollywood in it. But that's not what I wanted to talk about. (laughs) I think I I know where this is going and I'm ready for it. I wanted to talk about Thomas Middleditch and the Hollywood sex clubs. Casey's shaking her head. Do you not want to talk about it? No, I just like, I mean... I had heard, first of all, okay, go, go, I want to hear what you have to say first. Eek! When people think ridiculous things about Hollywood, I'm like, oh, come on, you guys. It's not like, don't think ridiculous things. But then when somebody like does something that confirms the ridiculous things that people think, I'm like, thanks a lot, Thomas Middleditch. Thanks yeah. a lot. I know. Also, it just feels so on the nose. You know what I mean? <laughs> Except for the one detail that I cannot get over. And this is not the headline. It's not the important part. But I'm reading the article. And then like three quarters of the way through, there's a picture of the storefront. And it's on Hollywood Boulevard. It's It's like having your sex club at Disneyland. Okay. The fact that this was in the back of Pig and Whistle is actually actually deeply upsetting to me. Well, it sounds like there was some real pigs there. (laughs) Yes. For those of you who don't know what we're referencing, I don't know how you missed it, but Thomas Middleditch, an improv actor of Middleditch and Schwartz fame, I guess. <laughs> and you might know uh, he him does from like shows such as Silicon, Silicon Valley. Valley. Yeah. Right. He's like basically the lead of Silicon Valley. And he's had, there's been like a few rumor things in the last few years, like swirling about him kind of by his own making. I feel like he Mm -hmm. publicly was talking about like how he and his now, I think ex-wife were swingers or something. Do you guys remember that? Like the day after he got married, I feel like he was like, I would like to have an open relationship or something. Yeah. Yeah, But then he gave an interview about it without telling. So she read in the paper along with everyone else. That they had an open relationship. Yeah. That's not, guys, I I haven't done a ton of research on open relationships, but I do know (laughs) that I think one of the tenets of it is that there's an understanding that you don't have to read it in an interview. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Like usually a thing that you talk over. <laughs> and you have like Together, rules and stuff. Yeah. But so anyways, so there was apparently some weirdos secret. And also about Thomas Middleditch, he's also one of the... I'm kind of scared about this whole Me Too thing. Yeah. Like, it seems like it's, like, gonna, you know... Oh, he I'm, said that, right? Yeah, like... Like, yeah. what's a guy to do? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what well, are we gonna do I, next? Punish yeah. everyone? It's like, what? yeah, like Not I have everyone. some ideas. Well, yeah. that's like anyone who said that. You're like, buddy, you want to just come clean right now, yeah. or like, um, what are what are you know what I mean? What do are you we have waiting something for? You'd like to tell us? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would you like to share, <laughs> or do we need to find out? Just disappointed. Um. So, anyways, so he was, I guess, a part of this members only sort of like goth <laughs> sex club. <laughs> In the back of Pig and Whistle. It's like Pig and Whistle is like a longstanding L.A. establishment, like along the lines of, I don't know, like Cantor's or you know the deli or it, it's like a an, it's like an eat eating place. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. people eat like burgers and they have beer. There's and nothing sexier than a full stomach. <laughs> 
<laughs> Nothing Apparently. more goth than a very bloated. <laughs> like with the Nexium documentary and then reading this article about this like secret club where they have rituals and you have to get a mark, a tattoo under your eye or on, on your, your body. A tattoo on your fucking face. By the way, that is your first sign, people, that like you don't want to be a part of this club. You want to leave. You know what I mean? I feel like, like if someone was like, we're going to go to this sexy place, be like, okay, cool. I'll put on my little sexy outfit. And when I, the second someone said face tattoo, I would burst out laughing. There's nothing. No. Like sexy about a face yeah. tattoo. What about sex? That's sexy. Like, let's do that. I don't know. I've even heard about like secrets. Remember there was maybe an article a couple of years ago about like secret, secret sex clubs in LA <laughs> where you didn't have to get a tattoo and it did sound, and you, but you had to pay like a shitload of money to go. And it like did seem like, like something out of gossip girl, you know? Well, in but this in one, LA, not sexy. Like it's not my thing. It's not my kink. Yeah. But like, if you were into that, I don't know, maybe that would be better than just like the dingy like peanut crusted floor back room of fucking pig and whistle can you you imagine what it smells like it just smells like well alcohol and it's like (laughs) sticky and then here comes thomas middle ditch just like dancing up on you like ew (laughs) gross what's happening to me why do i have have a tattoo on my face have a membership card a membership card. Well, but that was the thing that, like, some people had to pay for their membership and other people didn't. And to the me, there's people like, didn't. Right? Yeah, there's nothing right. more LA than finding out that you were like hot, only hot enough to have to pay to get into the pig and whistle, but other people were getting in. For That's free. always the way. That's how Blockbuster <laughs> Video was. I heard. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But speaking of which, you know what we watched again the other night? What swingers? a good one you guys it's a fucking classic and i'm sorry <laughs> that vince vaughn turned into such a republican douchebag because he was so fine have you ever yeah. watched it ashley Mm-mm. you haven't no it's a i good need one. you have to watch it it is like it's also just like so perfectly skewers the la club scene in the late 90s Oh my and God. when that's when I mean that's when I moved to LA. So I, I feel like it was just it, it's so good. The movie is so good. I feel like it really does hold up. And Vince Vaughn is so fucking hot. Busy, you know yeah. how you're always like you never remember anyone's name, you never recognize anyone. Yeah, I always remember and recognize usually everyone when I worked at Thirty Rock. We had this new IT computer guy at the Rosie O'Donnell show, and I was walking down the hallway at our offices at 30 Rock, and I saw him, the new computer guy, Mike, and I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? And he was so friendly and so nice, and he was like, oh, not bad. How are you? And I was like, great. How how are you settling in? And he was like, oh, um, not bad. Uh, It's going okay. And I was like, that's good. And I was like, let me know if you need anything. And he was like, okay, cool. That's so nice of you. And I was like, yeah, no problem. Um, You know where to find me. And he was like, yeah, um, okay. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll just see you around later. And he was like, yeah, see you around later. Thanks. And I'll, I'll talk to you later. And I was like, okay, bye. And then I walked away and then everyone was like, you know, Vince Vaughn. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, I thought that was Mike the IG guy. Wait, I was 
I really, really had the hots for mid-90s, even late-90s Vince Vaughn. And when I was on Dawson's Creek, he had filmed a movie in Wilmington, North Carolina, the summer before I got there for season five of Dawson's Creek. And it was actually the movie where I think he and Steve Buscemi like got arrested in Wilmington in some sort of bar fight, which by the way, according to my time in Wilmington tracks, like (laughs) it doesn't seem that difficult to do. Yeah. Um, I almost was arrested (laughs) a few times. I'm so grateful that TMZ didn't exist and that camera phones did not exist because I would be so fucking ruined. I would be ruined. I would be a ruined person. Anyway, the point being, that we should give young actors an easier time nowadays. But also the point being, they came back to Wilmington for reshoots for like one week. And it became my mission to try to like find Vince Vaughn. And I don't know, I wanted to like have a beer with him. It was before I knew his political views, obviously, guys, I didn't know. Um, I just thought he was hot. And anyway, the story doesn't go anywhere. I didn't find him. It's not too late. It's not too late. He it might is, be at well, the pig and whistle right now. Let me, t- let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. It is too late. And I've ended up like at kid birthday parties with him sometime in the last 12 years. I can't keep any of the shit straight at this point. And I remember just thinking like, oh, God, if only I could have told 18 year old me that I would be like rolling my eyes at Republican Vince Vaughn and like... <laughs> giving him the evil eye from across the room at like a kid's birthday party at a my gym. Not that he even know, knows what I'm doing or why I'm like mad at him. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, sex clubs. I don't know, guys. I'm just saying it all seems pretty fucking lame. You know what I mean? It's really wild. Do you tell us at home, do you have sex clubs in your town that you know of? <laughs> Goth sex clubs in the back of your dining establishments? Are they do do your nerdy guys have memberships to them? It's it is a thing that like nerdy dudes do, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's like yeah. every Any- any way that you can like create a hierarchy. Cause like when I was reading it, it reminded me of like an improv club. It's the yeah. same shit. It's just a place where nerdy dudes can be like in this room, there's a hierarchy and I'm at the top of it. And now I get to be mean to you. Yeah. It's so weird because also gross. Yeah. It's like a <laughs> phenomenon with like espe- comedy writers, especially, but also comedic actors. The second they get like, any kind of money power they you know just use it in that way it seems like a lot of them well it's just like reinforcing ideas right like this it all comes back to how we raise boys I imagine yeah you know what I mean in a way because like the traits that we deem valuable for boys and men and and what sort of Girls are kind of taught in response. Oh my God, Birdie's. Birdie has a. What's it called? Sex ed. They're doing like their sixth grade, like sex ed stuff. And Birdie already made them change how they were talking about it because they said that they kept talking about the genders. And Birdie raised their hand and was like, I actually believe you're talking about sex, not gender. And so you should 
you should differentiate because <laughs> they were like, yes, you're correct. You are correct. <laughs> like, yes, you're right. This book we were was talking about the female sex and the male sex, <laughs> yeah. not gender. Cool, cool. Um, I don't know. But like, I think that there is, it's like, it's all just deeply ingrained in that, in that thing, you know, and that these, these guys who had other attributes and felt like they were dismissed, you know, then when they get their whatever power it is, like money or, you know, they're funny so that they get successful in that world. And then they just kind of like abuse that. Not always, obviously. Not always. And like everyone wants to be with someone that they find hot. You know what I mean? Sure. I don't begrudge anyone that, certainly. Like, I, you know, I've wanted to be with someone that I find hot. It's just a weird thing. I don't find like hot guys hot, though. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. Do you, Ashley? I do. You do. You're like, you want, you want, you're like, I want, you're like, I want a hunk. But also, I will say, I have dated some, like, really, really hot guys. They're like, I'm really hot, so I'm not... Whereas, like, the nerdy guy who's, like, trying to appear hot wants to date the most model-esque woman to, like, prove that he can get them. And I've dated literal models who are just like, you're nice, I like hanging out with you, because they're not, like, trying to prove that they can get the hottest girl. Right. Whoa. Right. That must be why... I was always so bad. Like I was always so insecure. I was just always, I was a bad dater. I was bad at it. (laughs) I feel like I do. I feel like I was bad at it, but I never liked, I've never been attracted to like typically or whatever. Symmetrical. (laughs) What do you, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to insult. And I can't, I can't put this person on blast, but let me just say one of the most famous women one of the most famous, most beautiful, most powerful women. I won't say in who the it world. is. In the probably in the world. Selma um, Hayek. Who I'm not <laughs> gonna say who it is. I'm not gonna put them on blast. Um, who I had occasion to be <gasps> around. I know this story. I know who it is. I had occasion to be around pretty regularly. Um, was, you know, was dating someone and uh, I ran into her and I said, oh, you know, um, I saw a picture of you with the person that you're dating. He's cute. And she said, oh, do you think so? And I said, yeah. And she said, that's funny because, you know, me, I like a ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's so funny. <laughs> that is funny. But you just reminded me of that because you said you don't find hot guys hot. I think it's funny, too, because when you were saying, like, you love Vince Vaughn, I would have gone John Favreau, you know? For me? So. Yeah. But you know what? It also speaks to where my brain was at at the time. This is, like, prefrontal cortex whatever yeah. hardening or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, I was 17 years old. And so, yeah, like, I actually do think I liked hot guys when I was a kid. Yeah. I, like, loved Leonardo, you know, I loved Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. and I loved, like, Vince Vaughn. I had a poster, Swingers poster, and I just thought he was so oh. fucking hot. <laughs> and I'm trying to think, who else did I love? <sighs> It's just, it's very funny. Like when you, when you really think of like what you're, what you're attracted to and yeah. And what's attracted to you. But yeah, I I mean, I've had that too, Ashley, where I've gone out with guys where people, I, I've had people express shock, like that guy's with you. And I'm like, yep, (laughs) yep. I'm really good at sex. What can I say? (laughs) 
not, and you're I'm, just like, yeah, I don't. I mean, you're like, do I you don't. see this tattoo on my face? <laughs> you fucking better believe that he's with me. <laughs> and it's just like a really weird situation. And you're just like, yeah, I mean, like, I can't really explain it to you. I'm not going to defend it to you. But yeah, I know little spark plug women that date like very modely guys. And I don't know why. I, I do, too. <laughs> I know, I know. I have a good friend who's just like loves <laughs> loves a model dude, and I'm like, really? <laughs> and she's like, I don't need him to talk. I'm like, whoa, that is fucking wild to me. So I yeah, so want... I don't, I don't begrudge yeah. like wanting the hotness or whatever. I, I think I do think it's weird when it gets into like this area where I'm like, well, what's happening though? Like, does this, does everybody have agency? Is everybody like having a good time? Are you having an actual relationship? But then I'm also like, well, it's also none of my business. So. Yeah. Well, I guess the point is in this sex club in the back of the pig and whistle, um, I bet they probably don't love that. That's how I'm going to reference it for (laughs) ever. I mean, for all time. And it's funny. I mean, it's so, <laughs> it is just the worst part to me. It's so gross. Um, I just feel like, yeah, like if it, I guess, hmm, I guess you got to be careful what sex club you sign up for is all I'm saying. You know what I mean? It's true. It's true. You got to read, read the, the code of conduct. Yeah. I feel like there are things, this is one of those things that in theory, it should be possible for a group of human beings to do. It should be possible for a group of human beings to have a sex club and have it be fun and egalitarian and nobody get hurt, but it doesn't seem to happen all that often. Just like you should be able to have a cult and just all worship whatever together and that be fine, but it never works out that way. Can I, I tell you something? It should be possible to have a fucking chess club that yeah. goes really well, but even that shit implodes every time. So you know what I mean? It all of these things, it's really difficult to get a group of people, even a group of people that all love the same thing coming together and like all moving in the same direction, mm-hmm. doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I would it's say just- the exception was Shits Creek. <laughs> I would it's, say that was that was the exception because it just those they just seemed like they loved each other they loved the experience they all true. won a bunch of awards it's true they but just, even that was a relatively small small group and there really were leaders on Shit's Creek you know there really yeah. there really were just a couple cooks and then yeah, everybody else really it's deferred true. to that leadership but it's really it's it's very difficult to have any type of of group and especially you know sex like it, especially when you add sex right into yeah, it guys sex is very emotional and it's uh-huh. it's about a lot of things that are very loaded and people mm-hmm. uh sometimes have a hard time being bossy and then other people have not a hard time at all being bossy and you know and it gets all mixed up real fast it can go south or sideways real fast. Yeah. I would Not- have been out at the face tattoo. I actually would have been out when they told me the address and I was like, the pig and whip pig whistle. And yes. That would have been I'm the so end sorry. of me. I'm so sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to have to, I'm going to be at Musso and Frank's across yeah. the street having a fucking martini, like an adult. Okay. Wait, you guys, did you read the story about Kylie Jenner's makeup artist? Yeah. 
That was, yeah, that's tragic, first of all. And like, I wish the best for for that person that they mm-hmm. get better. Okay, so the original thing is, yeah. So she, okay, she wants to clear it up that it's not her makeup artist. Okay. It's a makeup artist that's friends with her makeup artist who she okay. has worked with in the past. So, okay, so, she but has so, but regardless, some good, better points later on in this, but the point okay. that it's not my makeup artist is not a good point, and she just shouldn't have even, like, there, she actually does have better points, but that was such a weird thing to lead with. It was like, yeah. guys, it's not my responsibility. He's someone else's makeup artist. It's <laughs> not. I know. Yeah. So she shared this guy's GoFundMe and, and had donated, like, $6,000 herself. I mean, listen, she's a billionaire. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I have a hard time. I I don't know. I can't. She's a child, too. So, I, I mean, well, she's not really. How old is she? She seems like a child. No she's Frontal all cortex? A- she's all ages because, like, she's a billionaire. So, she's, yeah, her, her brain isn't grown all the way because she's, right, like, her, under 25. Right. But she's You're, also a billionaire. Right. So you you know cuz also our our guest today, Dr. Harold from the Child Mind Institute, he does talk about that that like yes. your your brain isn't truly fully formed until after 25 years of age. Right. So like right up until I was 25 I would have fucked Vince Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> and then on that birthday, out of luck. Poor Vince. If only he found you. <laughs> But all I'm saying is just that, like, I don't know, dude, like, I do think that there's something a little wild about, like, Kylie Jenner sharing a GoFundMe when she's only donated $6,000 to it. Like, well, it just seems. It's what she said was that they were asking for $10,000. They had raised four. And so mm-hmm. she donated the rest, the other six, and then shared the GoFundMe, which I could see how if you're not thinking mm-hmm. about right. how actions have consequences, that seemed mm-hmm. like the right thing to do. Right. But the part about being under 25 comes in when you have to know the internet is going to drag you, even though mm-hmm. what she did was fulfill the rest of what they were asking for. Sure. But she also could have just quietly done that and not shared it mm-hmm. and not gotten into this controversy. Right. Right. And you know what they say? No good deeds. No good yes. deed goes Go unpunished. Wait, which my friend Jenny Ellisque, and by the way, I haven't reached out to her, which makes me an asshole, but I did read a tweet of hers. Um, but she's my friend who's a DJ on Sirius XMU. And she wrote this tweet the other day that was like, um, after getting injured trying to help a stranger – People can't stop saying to me, no good deed goes unpunished. It's kind of bumming me out. I'm just like looking for any stories of when you've helped a stranger and it's worked out great. And then Mark and I were sitting there and I started laughing because I was like, it's never worked out well for me. Yeah. (laughs) It's never (laughs) worked out well for me. Truly. But you've helped a stranger, right, Casey? 
And my I'm, sister, you got that email for, about from my about that woman from my sister. Yeah, remember? Yeah, your sister helped a woman move out of her house when she was in a domestic violence situation. Yeah, yes, a perfect. And they stranger. were like strangers, total yeah. strangers. Yeah, and the woman sent the email to our this busy Phillips is doing her best email, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just like just to say like just please like tell Busy to thank her sister, which is yeah. so amazing. And it yeah, was years it was like ago, years right? Ago. Yeah, she she that's like amazing. got her moved out of her. Yeah, so that seemed to have gone well. Yeah, I've helped people before. Like I, yeah, I have like sat with um, people who have been in car accidents and like held their hand mm-hmm. while they waited. Uh, I did that once, and it was in Chicago. And it was like negative 13 degrees. Oh, God. oh my God. <laughs> and me and uh, a colleague were like walking to the bus from rehearsal. We saw this car accident happen. And it was like a, an old man who was like kind of disoriented. So we're like, we shouldn't leave him. But we ended up waiting for two hours in the like negative 13 degree thing. And we were just both looking at each other, like making that eye contact of like, wow, this sucks. But while also trying to comfort and take care of this <laughs> dude. Oh, man. I did see this woman. I think this was when we were doing Busy Tonight. I saw a woman get into like a scooter accident. Do you remember that? Like those scooters, <laughs> oh you know, that everybody has yes, yes, the bird the scooters. Bird. And I saw her get like she just like flew off of this bird scooter and she like into the street. And I was like, oh, fuck me. All right. And so I like ran over to help her and helped her up. And she was just like, ow, 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 ow. Like, <laughs> Like, and she like had the a grape written, stomp lady. Yeah, it was like the grape <laughs> stomp lady, totally. And she was basically fine. And she, but she was like wearing rings, and she had like messed her hand up. And I was Ugh. like, "You have to take your rings off right now. Like, you have to take them off, or they're going to have to be cut off." I'm telling you, take your fucking rings off. Like, so I did do that, and I was like helping her get up, and there. Are crazy paparazzi photos. I did not realize there was a paparazzi guy. Oh. And there are crazy paparazzi photos of helping me helping this woman who's just like <laughs> looks like she's in agony. <laughs> Busy Phillips steals a woman's brain. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know what? We couldn't have had it stay on that finger. It would have gotten it would have swelled up. They would have had to cut it off. Um so yeah, that was I guess fine, kind of funny because then I was like a funny. It's a funny paparazzi photo. What else? I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, posting GoFundMe is also dicey, dicey proposition for billionaires. I guess it's hard. I mean, it, listen, it's hard because you want to help and you don't. It's just. It's hard. It's a hard situation all around. Yeah, I would say it is just so hard to be a 23-year-old billionaire. <laughs> I would say, one thing I would say, I, I just know without a shadow of a doubt, <laughs> it is so hard to be she'll, a 23-year-old billionaire. End of the day, <laughs> she'll probably be okay. She'll be okay. I, it is like a, like, because I have people, I'm not nowhere near a billionaire, will like send me GoFundMe and be like, will you share it? And I'm like, it's tough because I'm like, I don't know. There's no way for me to vet this information. So it's like a tough call. And at the end of the day, it's like, we should be mad that we live in a country where people have to GoFundMe healthcare rather than being mad at like who shares it or not. Like it just shouldn't be happening. Right. Right. That's the point. Right. 
Or, yeah, of course. Obviously, Ashley, with the valid point. <laughs> That's <laughs> what expect, we should be. But, did you I know, expect to defend Kylie Jenner today? No. No. But this is where we are. <laughs> but also, also like, if there are celebrities listening, you don't need to publicly um, donate on the GoFundMe. You can always just shoot a little money privately so that it doesn't say Kylie Jenner $5,000 on the GoFundMe. And then it's I, nobody's. I nobody's, mostly do an anonymous nobody's business how much money you gave and then you can just be like i privately gave an amount so thank you it's none of your business i will say that i um i have shared a lot of different charity things and organizations things that i'm involved in personally and whatever and i do always make it a point to say that i have donated and occasionally i will say the amount because this I fucking hate when I feel like people see, but this is just my own thing. Like I do hate when people that I follow that I'm friends with are like swipe up to donate to this charity or whatever, but I know that they haven't and that they yeah. think that they're, mm-hmm. that them just posting is like good enough. enough. Yeah. And it yeah. annoys me. Yeah. But that's a personal annoyance of mine. And so sometimes people on Instagram or whatever strangers have been like, you're, you don't need to put, you're that you've donated you're just trying to your signal wait no not signal boosting what's the word uh, virtue, virtue signaling, virtue signaling. You're virtue signaling. And i'm like yeah fucking damn right i'm virtue signaling <laughs> signaling because i want people to know that i did this thing so that that i'm asking them to do you know i think it's like i don't know i think accountability is in in some times sometimes i think accountability is good yeah, yeah I do. I have also it. shared some and been like, white people, this one is for you. Yeah, I don't want to see any black people donating to this thing. White people, get it together. I know there which white people follow me, and this one's for you. There you yeah. go. Yeah. And you know what? I probably swiped right on up. <laughs> I really did. Wait, you guys, Casey, should we talk about the crazy email escalation that I received oh this week? Should we even get into it, or is it too insane? It so funny you kind of talked about it before you mentioned it before but it was so funny then you sent it to I me. did mention it didn't you I did, but it was really funny like seeing so it. it's bonkers okay so Ashley out of the blue I received and listeners my friends at home out of the blue I received an email a couple months ago now from somebody that like I went to my high school but we weren't in the same yes. grade but like kind of and and that this person had gotten my email from somebody else that I'm like still friends with like in a internet sort of way um and the email kind of weirdly sounded like a form email it's like very formal and it was just like I have been working like I'm a an artist. I've been working on this independent project and I'm putting it into a book. I would love to personally send you a copy of the book. Hope you're well. And I was like, that's very nice. Thank you. Sometimes people like to send me stuff. I know that the hope probably is that like maybe I would post it. But there was no information about like where the books whatever. There was no information or to tag the project or whatever. I just was like, oh that's nice. This is 
person wants to send me their like book that they've been working on. And it was sort of like attached. I mean, I don't even know if I can get into this whole part. But anyway, then the, then they wrote back, great, it'll be there, you know, on this date. And I was like, oh, that's intense. I've never gotten like a tracking, but okay, <laughs> great. Thank you. Um, the book arrived. I was like, okay. I have a lot of stuff that's happening currently in my life and my personal life and my professional life and my brain and work. And then two days later, the book should have arrived safely. Please let me know that you got the book. And I was like, I kind of like saw the email, but I was just like, I'll just respond to it. Like after I get a chance to like look at it and whatever. Two days after that, another email, the almost the exact same email, just kindly reply that you received the book. And I was like, that's weird. I've had it for four days. Like, what, what am I supposed to be doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I was like, I don't love that. I, that's like very presumptuous. And, um, and I don't love that. So I'm just going to hold for a second. Two days later, another one. Two days later, another one. Another two days, another email. Two days after that, another email. Two days after that, another email. And then finally, I was like, it had been like two weeks. And I was like, hey, dude, listen, I've, yes, things are wild over here. And, um, I also everywhere there's a pandemic going on. (laughs) Wait, listen, hope you had a lovely week. I'm simply checking in with you regarding the book. I mailed you. I look forward to hearing from you. I will be around all weekend. If you briefly want to chat. Okay. It, it goes on and on and on and on. I appreciate that you have a hectic schedule. I appreciate your time. I will be around to chat after 2 PM. I was like, okay, finally, after two weeks of this, I wrote back, the book arrived safely. Thank you. I haven't had any time to spend with it. It looks beautiful. I'm curious what kind of feedback you're, because then at one, at some point in the emails starts mentioning feedback. I'm like, I'm curious what kind of feedback you're looking for from me in regards to the book. And then the next one was, no worries. I know you have a hectic schedule. I'm looking for <laughs> help and feedback related to promoting, increasing exposure, support for the project. Okay. What? Once you've had time to spend with the book and read my letter, I would love to chat with you about your ideas. So I looked at the book, which is like, it's essentially like a picture book. And, and then I read the letter from this person where it's just like, I want to do this project and I want to like raise money for these charities, but also like with anything, it's like, you know, you're also putting your name on it. So it's not like, fully altruistic, let's be honest. And there was nothing specific in terms of like, there's no website. Like, I don't know what you, there's no website. There's no Facebook. There's no, nothing to link to. So I don't understand what you're asking for me to do or to even really help you how, I don't know. I just didn't understand. Right. Nor do I know this person, just FYI, is the bigger issue, I guess. So then after that, it continues every two days. Oh my God. Until Saturday, I guess, this this Saturday, in which I have been scolded now. <laughs> I got a new form letter. I do hope that you're well. Also, by the way, what if I fucking had COVID? Do you know what I mean? What if That's my fucking thing. family did? Also, who the fuck are you? Get out of my inbox, fucking creep. Sorry. <laughs> Wait, but this is the part that really got me. 
If you're unable or unwilling to assist with the project on which I am working, I ask that you kindly return the book I sent you. I sent it to you with your consent in bold and the understanding that you were willing to help on some level with the project. I do not know if it's the case, but I feel at this point after numerous attempts to contact you that I am being ignored. You are. You are, buddy. Being ignored. <laughs> if, if you are, should be clear. If you are still willing to help, please let me know. If you cannot or will not, my return address is the following. Kindly. Guys, you got to stop turning into the Joker over, over <laughs> asking for help. I mean, like, the, here's the well, thing. But That's, here's the thing. He it's never not your asked area for help. Yeah, it's no. not your area of expertise. You're not no. a publicist. You're not a publicity firm. No. I am like a one fucking one band one fucking woman show. And I can barely do this one. <laughs> do you understand? <laughs> I am like holding this together with fucking glue and paper clips and <laughs> and and like the tiniest amount of spit and a Kylie lip kit that I've had <laughs> for five fucking years. <sighs> I just Sorry. feel like people need to and I've experienced this too. People don't ask for what they want, and then they get mad when they don't get it. Like, the first email should have been, hey, Busy, I wrote a book. Yes. I'd love it if you would tweet about it because you're famous and that would help me sell my book. Can you do that? And And here's the website in which I sell it at or whatever. You could write back yes or no, end of interaction. But instead, he plays coy. I want feedback or some involvement, blah, blah, blah. No, but that's the craziest thing. No feedback. I I did this art project and I made a book of it. And I would love to personally send you a copy of said book slash art project book thing that I did. And I to that, I'm like, I don't want to be a fucking dick. This guy is like made a book of some art project he did in Phoenix. Right. Like I just want, okay, sure. Send me your book, you know? But with it and this letter, there was like, no, there's no where people can buy it. There's no right. like, it's just, it's just like, I'm planning on making more of these. I really want to get this off the ground. Right. I like want, you know, help. Well, okay. I, I'm not, I don't, what do you want for, I'm literally, what do you want from me? Right. Cause this is like, it's this so weird. This is, somebody needs to actually teach a class in this. I think it's a really interesting and crucial lesson for creative people, probably just for anyone in not being manipulative. You can't position something like it's a gift when it's really not, when it's a burden, actually, when it, when you're asking for something. And then when you're asking for something, Ashley's right, you have to be specific. Like, I love so much when someone's like, hey, can you help me get the word out about something? I need you to tweet. Here's a sample tweet. You could just tweet this. You can reword it if you want, but you could also just use exactly this one. You know know what what? I mean? Do you know what makes me like, honestly, like want to make out with someone (laughs) (laughs) when they they fucking send me a sample tweet for their fucking charity or whatever, like, or whatever it is that they're promoting their TV show. Yeah. Just so you have have a sample tweet and, and like a little picture that I could post. 
Yeah, just do the work. Don't ask someone who's doing you a favor to do you five favors. Like, but also I think part of the problem is people need to be honest with themselves about what they want. Because I definitely get people email me and be like, hey, can you read this script? Uh, You're a genius. I'd love your feedback. And I'm like, sure. What do you want? You do you want notes? Do you want me to say like, I don't put it in these terms. I'm nicer than this. Like, do you want me to say you did a good job? Or do you want like, actual notes. Like, what are you looking to do with this? Are you trying to staff? Are you trying to get an agent? Cause those are, you know, different things. And people will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want feedback. So then you spend the weekend reading their scripts, typing up their notes, giving them feedback. And then they're upset when they get the feedback because what they actually wanted was you to recommend them for a job. And it's like, you just need to be honest with yourself and say, right. What do I actually want from this interaction? I want to ask Ashley if she can help me find a job and then ask that question and get the real answer. This is it. And this is like, we've talked about this before on this podcast. I've come to the realization in my life and it took me way too fucking long that like beating around the bush, like not asking exactly for what it is that you want or need or desire will only get you a fucking headache and will exhaust everyone around you. And you have to, in order to do that, you have to be able to like reach down inside of yourself and know what it is that you're asking for. And I think that's the trick because I think a lot of people don't even know they can't. It's so hard for them. And especially I do find, especially women to like really sit with what is it that I want? It's hard for me to know what I want at like California pizza kitchen. Do you know what I mean? Like avocado rolls. Not hard at all, busy. (laughs) I do love I do love those. Um wait, the like the like weird pizza spring rolls. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the like egg rolls with the avocado in them. The Southwest. Oh, you're talking about the Southwest egg rolls. I love the pizza roll, like the pizza roll ups. Do you remember those? I don't know, There's but it like sounds a, like it's my jam. So good. Yeah. See, but the good news is we can get both. <laughs> good news. And we can share. But, you know, also, I think a lot of what we're talking about, we're talking about in terms of like professional, you know, professional or like colleagues or whatever. A lot of this applies at home and in friendships as well. That's too. what I mean. Yes. Yeah. So like, it, you know, with your with your kids, with your partners, with your friends, a lot of times I think we beat around the bush and we get dissatisfied because we're like I was like you know kind of hinting at like what I wanted and nobody got it but sometimes it's hard sometimes it's hard to get it do you guys want to hear about a breakthrough I had in therapy last week yes on this very topic yeah yeah so I had had I've been having a really rough time Ashley I don't know if you're aware but Uh, I listen to the pod religiously you guys I I know so you know you know things have been tough for me and like it's it's also just, it's just been a lot. A lot of stuff has been really hard. Okay. I'm not going to cry today. Um, and last week I had a particularly hard day. And I was sitting on the High Line, which is this lovely thing. It's real cute. It's a little it's park in a, New York that's yes, like an elevated guys, park. Great place for, to cry in public. Yes. For those of you that don't know, the High Line is an old railroad like elevated railroad track 
that runs, it's like two miles, I think, the whole thing. Yeah. And they turned it into greenery and like a park and a walkway. And it's so pretty and you can walk the whole thing and it's really nice. And sometimes I do therapy up there as I'm walking and then sometimes I sit and cry. So anyway, I was just really having a fucking moment. It was that day that I was listening to Suspended and Gaffa on repeat, which, you know, is just never a good sign. And, um, and I had gotten done with therapy and I was just so sad and I was crying and listening to Suspended and Gaffa and taking pictures of myself and then getting embarrassed that that's what I was doing. And I don't know. It was just all a fucking downward spiral. And so then Mark texted me, what are you doing? Because he knew my therapy was had been over for a bit. And I was like, okay, in my head, this is what I was thinking. I'm really sad about a lot of things. One thing that I know makes me kind of happy is like planning for stuff. And we uh, needed to get some tile for this bathroom in this place that we needed to get new tile for. And that's kind of fun. Even if it's like we were just going to buy, like look for, um, you know, overstock tile or something or like <laughs> tile that had been returned to one of these tile places in New York, which aren't far from the High Line, you know. And I was thinking, like, maybe it would be nice if, like, Mark left the kids with Sarah Beth for a bit and we, like, walked and we got t- – and we looked at the tile and saw if there was any, like, good returned or overstocked tile for this project that we were trying to do. But instead, I just wrote back thinking about tile. <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, I mean, there are – too many times during the day when I'm not thinking about tile. And then I wrote back like, yeah, you know, actually I read somewhere that like women think about tile as much as men, that they just don't talk about it. And then he was like, cool. Yeah. All right. Got it. Uh, So are you coming home or what? And like dinner? And I was like, yeah, I guess I'll just come home. And I went home and I was so fucking mad, like irrationally mad at him. And just like, went into the house just like, and I couldn't, I'm so, I wasn't aware of what was happening to myself. I just was like, the worst, just the worst. And then the next day we're talking about it in therapy and and it was a bad night. Like it was just fucking bad. And the next day we were talking about it in therapy and I was, and I had the realization that what I was doing was I was like, I'm going to give you this little tiny crumb, but I'm not going to tell you what I really am thinking because if you really know me, You're going to fucking guess it. And if you don't, you're not. And then I really can hate you. And like, you know, that's unfair and totally bonkers. It's a test. It's a test that he didn't even get to take the class. No, he has no fucking idea. Yeah. So I think we all have to be aware of those little tests that you, those breadcrumbs that you like leave out for your friends and your family and your partners and your, you know, it's just, you got to ask for what you need or what you're yeah. thinking you might need because the worst that could happen is somebody says no, and then they really don't care. Right. Then they, you know the truth. But like, if you're just offering them like a little tiny little crumb of a piece of a side of an idea and they don't know what they're supposed to do with it, they're like, okay, well, do you want to just get like tacos or something? I can't. Yeah. I don't know what to do with this tile thing. 
you're never having the real conversation, right? If never. you're like, you're never, you're never doing the things that I want to do. Uh, you know, whenever I'm mentioning tile, you're never like meeting <laughs> up with me to go to the tile store. It's, you're never having the real conversation. But right. if you're, if you're saying to your partner, I want to go to the tile store and they're saying, no, no tile store. Well, that's stupid. Yeah. yeah. That's dumb. <laughs> Yeah, then, we're not going to go to the tile store. Yes, then then you're having the conversation, and then you're having another conversation right. that you know that's you're getting to like the meat of like a different problem. You know, yeah. well, and, yeah. And, then you're like in it because the answer might be, I don't want to go to the tile store right now because I'm exhausted because of this thing. Right now, we're both talking about our thing. Right, um, right. Because if one person is vulnerable, it allows the other person to be vulnerable. Right. Right. It's a big deal, guys. It's a big deal to ask for what you need. And also, like, it's such a huge favor to the other person because sometimes, like, it's just, you know, people have a lot going on in their minds. And also, like, for me, it's such a pleasure for me when, like, someone that I love asks me, can you do this for me? Like, it's such a pleasure for me to be asked, like, I don't know. It's kind of like an honor for me sometimes when someone that I love is like, can you do this for me? Or can you like talk to me for a second about this? Or like, can you spend a minute with me or whatever, you know, like you, it's weird because I think so many times you don't want to be a burden and you're like, how, how dare I ask for this thing? How dare I, how dare I take up space in this person's life? And what you don't know is that like, if this person is in your life anyway, they probably want you to take up a little bit of space at least. Mm -hmm. And so like, for me, it's like very much an honor when someone takes up the rightful space that I'm giving them in my life and says like, would you do this for me? I would say, especially right now, because like in this pandemic, I'm quarantined alone, as you guys know. So anytime someone's like, I'm having this problem, can I just call you and talk about it? I'm like, yes, please. I am alone. Like, talk to me for three hours about your problem. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not a burden there, and maybe one person might be like I'm I'm too busy I can't do that right now that doesn't mean they hate you but there's someone in your life who's sitting at home wishing someone would talk to them for hours yes. about a problem that's not my problem <laughs> I agree so guys I hope we've all learned something and if you happen to be the person that sent me that thing I'm sending it back <laughs> yeah it's in the fucking mail and I'm never responding to your email. But Kylie Jenner would be happy to tweet about it. So, <laughs> <sighs> But maybe you should reach out to Kylie Jenner. Um, okay. Well, listen, guys, this was delightful. Okay. So let's go through <laughs> what we're doing our best at this week. Casey, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, what am I doing my best at this week? Well, now that the weather's like nicer, I've just been like, oh, I'm just going to like go for a little walk around my cul-de-sac and listen to other podcasts. So I've been listening to, um, I'm really excited about the Add to Cart 
podcast, which is mm-hmm. our friend Kulop and Suchin. I'm going to be appearing on their podcast um, coming oh. up, but uh, but they um, had a really special podcast this week. They did a special episode that normally is a really fun podcast about buying things and, and just uh, really comedy centered, but this week they did a special episode just talking about their feelings about violence against the Asian community and um, it was really touching. It's only a half hour. I totally recommend that people just listen to it so that you can hear like firsthand how they're feeling. And um, I'm going to be on an upcoming episode talking about an item that I'm really excited about. So yeah, so I've just been walking around my little cul-de-sac like, I don't know, 10, 20 times and um, listening to podcasts. And uh, every time I walk by my own house, I'm like, wow, I really hate the color that my house is painted. It's... (laughs) Do you think you'll paint it? Yeah, I have to. I mean, it's like terracotta. Who wants a terracotta yeah. house? I don't know. I mean, we're really like abusing terracotta. terracotta here in, in LA. I mean, I have a mid century modern house. It's not a mm-hmm. fancy house, but it's like built by my second favorite architect. Um, and. It was never meant to be painted terracotta, and it's not meant to have a terracotta tile roof either, uh, but that's what we got, but we got to paint it because it's it's not meant to be uh, painted the color of a flower pot, I'll tell you that. <laughs> what about, what color do you want to paint it? I don't know because we're really kind of like, we really kind of got boned by the previous owners with that tile roof. Like we're not you know, we're not going to change out the roof. It's perfectly fine, even though, you know, it's not the, (laughs) it's not historically appropriate for the. Can can I ask you a question? Wait, why isn't it historically appropriate? Because it's not like, you know, it's. It's like a Spanish style roof. It's like a Spanish style roof on a mid-century modern house. It should have like a rock roof or like a, like maybe shingles. Oh, but it has tiles. Yeah, it has tiles. That's just because it's L.A. Everything has tiles. Mid-century modern fans would be horrified. So if there are any MCM fans out there, I'm sorry it came with that roof. But yeah, we're <laughs> going to... You know what I was just... You know why I just got silent for a second? Because then why? I just remembered that I wanted to check the thing that I put um, to try to find you one of those fireplaces. Oh. <laughs> and so I had to check it. I had to I... see... I've never heard of those before you talked about it on the podcast. And now I see them everywhere. Now you see them everywhere. I get so many messages and people are so nice and they always send them to me and they're like, somebody's selling one and it'll either inevitably be in like Maine. And I'm like, well, I'm probably not (laughs) going to drive to Maine to pick it up or it'll be like in LA, but like $3,000. And I'm like, that is very high. But wait, I just found one that's terracotta. It's actually not. It's actually it is a vintage mid-century modern one and but and it's porcelain, but it's the color of terracotta. I mean it's so ugly. Can you oh, see it's it? trolling you. It looks like a troll. It's a snort. It, looks like it a actually snort. looks like a snort. <laughs> um, I love that. Oh Ooh, this God. one's nice. This is a preway. Yeah. That's what you want, right? Yeah. Or did you pre-way, want the mail? Malm. Right. Preway Malm or this one is twenty eight hundred dollars. That's, you know, so that's a little up What there. are we looking to spend? You got to tell me what, what we're spending I mean, like, I almost got one for $100. I was, like, five minutes late on replying to the person that was selling it. That doesn't make any sense. Where? 
What are we talking about? In LA. Where? It was by LA. Here's what, here's what I'm saying to you. You have to tell me, because you're good at that shit, and I know it's like all on Facebook or whatever, and yes. I'm not on Facebook. You have to sign up for like these like upstate and like all around this area because yeah. I can go get it. I have a car, and actually, it wouldn't be me, it would be Ray, but <laughs> someone can go get it. So, like, just figure it out because all you right. know that they're around here. There's yeah. probably more there because it's cold. Yeah. It's true. It's true. I bet you there are in like Vermont, even we can send Ray to Vermont. It would be great for his content. <laughs> can you imagine how fucking bummed he, he would be? How many so times many he would just break down on the way to Vermont, just like mentally like, and mechanically? I don't know where to charge. <laughs> well, what are you doing your best at, Ashley? I knew this question was coming. And I was like, <laughs> nothing it is the theme yeah i truly i had to think really because my first thing was nothing um i've been feeling like very unmotivated because i realized i'm motivated by like other people so normally my job i would do in a room full of people and you get kind of like immediate feedback about how you're doing your job whether it's from if you're in a writer's room the other writers are on stage from the audience and without that it's just not as motivating to like sit down and work alone Um, So I was like, I don't know what I did my best at because I've been so unmotivated. So this is like a little hack, I guess. I write everything in my calendar. I don't like delete things from it because I did them. I leave everything there. So I went back and looked at my calendar from last week and I got so much fucking work done. I I did so much work and I worked out a ton. And I was like, here I am like down on myself saying I'm unmotivated. I did all that stuff. I obviously motivated myself. (laughs) Like I figured out. You didn't even know it. it. Yeah. So that's what I did my best at this week was that I actually was very motivated. But do you mind if we put your dog on blast because she is not doing her best? She's not doing her best. (laughs) Because does your dog have Pika? Uh, Yes. Do you know what Pika is? Is that what she has? Because Mm -hmm. we wanted Ashley to come on the podcast today and she almost couldn't because she was up late last night because her dog ate her bed. She ate her bed. Yeah. She. Had... <laughs> well, and the, the she crazy... ate in her own bed, but also same girl. Like, <laughs> like, tell her I relate. I'm like, she was having a rough night. She was like, she has these like bouts of Pika. And so I put her in the bed in the crate. So she would be safe from eating. Cause she was trying to eat everything. And then she ate the bed, which I should have seen coming. Like, that's, <laughs> She ate the bed. So she ate the, the bed. whole fucking bed. No, but she ate a, a chunk of it, which I didn't know until this morning when she threw it up. And I was walking her. So there's like, um, my dog is not, she's very picky about other dogs she wants to interact with. And it's like Obviously. kind of caused a bit of neighborhood drama because I have wow. neighbors who are like giving me the side eye because I won't let my dog play with theirs because I know she's going to start a fight. But then there are a few dogs that she likes. So they'll see me interacting with another dog. It makes me look like an asshole when in fact the dog is the asshole. So I'm walking <laughs> past this neighbor who like kind of gives me the side eye because I don't let my dog interact with his and I'm trying to like, rush her by quickly before she can growl or something. And that's when she threw up this chunk of bed in front of this man. (laughs) So he thinks I'm a crazy person. Here's this mean lady who won't let her dog play with anything and feeds her bed. That's what that guy thinks. (laughs) 
Oh, man. Poor Gordy. Okay. Two things that I've implemented into Gina's diet that's really helped. Okay. So Gina was going through, first of all, I have a cat with Pika and I have spent, I don't even want to tell you how many thousands of dollars worth of cat surgery. I'm a thousand dollars down today. Yeah. It's the worst. Pika is a condition. If you guys don't have pets or you don't have a pet that's had it, I certainly didn't know what it was until I had a cat with Pika. Like where they want to eat things that are not edible, like plastic and toys that are like, they just want to eat them whole. I mean, that Gildo, Gildo had like an entire sponge. Gildo's a small cat and had eaten like a whole sponge. We couldn't keep anything. So now Gildo, so a lot of people sometimes on Instagram, they're like, what happened to your cats? Why do they like, why aren't they ever around? They really do have to be confined upstairs into like two rooms so that we can just like make sure that Gildo, also they're fine with it, to be totally honest. They're fine with it. Okay. Anyway, Gina has been really getting chewy recently and I've been bummed because I'm like, oh no, does Gina have Pika now too? She caught Paper. it from the cat. I swear to God, and plastic and like all this stuff. She just like, we have to get lids for all the trash cans, poop. She started eating poop. It was a disaster. And she has like a really, her tummy gets upset a lot too. So our dog trainer from LA recommended two things. Number one was a dog probiotic to give her, which like, it's like almost, I don't know what the, I don't know, guys. I'm not a fucking vet. Am I? Am I? <laughs> not yet. Oh my God. Am I a vet? It would be cheaper <laughs> <No>. if you <we> weren't. <laughs> but, but the probiotic is like, you know, because they're, they're, they're trying to get something like they need something. They're missing something. Right. So there's that. And then, and this is the gross one, but I swear to God, the last two weeks, it's like changed our life at the pet store. They have frozen bones with marrow and boy, did she chow down on that little frozen marrow bone. And like the first night she did it, I swear to God, she looked like she was on drugs. Like (laughs) she looked like she was raving and that she was like, full-blown candy flipping and her (laughs) eyes were like rolling into the back of her head and she couldn't stop and she was just like tweaking on the marrow and was so happy and now she's kind of chilled but she still really likes it and she's stopped chewing on other things she stopped taking my shoes because she wants and stopped like she wants the good stuff now she wants the marrow bone but also (laughs) i took her to the dog park with cricket on Sunday and all these dogs were like really sniffing her butt. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Now they want to eat her poop. They want to eat her poop because it's like full marrow. <laughs> like Very she must high just quality smell. poop. She must smell like a marrow butt. Like, ev- like they were like really like up in it. Like <laughs> sorry. This is so looking gross. back at their owners like uh, yeah. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> Have you smelled this bitch? <laughs> Do you know what she's got? This is straight beef marrow butt. <laughs> she's, she's really happy. She's so much happier and she's stopped chewing so much. I wish there was like a cat equivalent that I could give Gildo so he would stop eating plastic and having emergency surgery. 
Um, actually, he hasn't. He hasn't in quite some time. It's been about. Oh God, I'm just gonna knock wood because. I hope that he's on the wagon. He's, I think he's doing good. I think he's doing well. I think he's doing well. Um, what are you doing your best at this week? Well, I've been sticking to my working out for my mental health and I've really made it a priority, even though I've had some days where I've been not in the mood. I've sucked it up and done it. And So there, that's what I'm doing my best. <laughs> that's great. And it has made a difference. And I went to this Tracy Anderson workout class, like a uh, private yeah. class. And I, it was so hard and I had to change my mask four times. It was like, it's oppressive to work out wearing a mask. Yeah. Guys, it's not worst. great. And the rooms are heated too there. <sighs> I told the, the trainer girl, like, I was like, I need to dance. Like, I need to, like, in, I need endorphins. Like, that's yeah. all I – don't worry about my butt. Don't worry about anything else. <laughs> just endorphins. And so she did just, like, kept doing cardio with me. And then I did some, like, leg and arm things. But afterwards, I came out of there and I had therapy right after. My therapist was like, you sound like a different person. Like, wow. you sound – like, you're compared to what you sounded like on the podcast – which I was just listening to. <laughs> She's oh, like, wow. <laughs> and I was concerned. <laughs> oh, Lord. She's like, and now you sound like totally different. And I really think I do. How'd she say I sounded? Lovely. <laughs> she, loves, she loves you. I just want to make sure she thought I was okay. <laughs> I had a therapist one time who like, didn't like, I don't know. The vibe was like a little weird. And then one day she came in and she was like, you're on TV. Like she had finally <laughs> seen me on TV. And I was like, yeah, what do you think I've been talking about this whole time? And she was like, I don't know. I just like, it, it seemed like you thought your job was really important. <laughs> like she just didn't get, like, I think she thought that I was like a little bit off and was like overstating. She like, thought you were delusional. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. So she By the way, like, I hate that. Yeah, she so wasn't a good. Up. She wasn't a great therapist. Uh, we did not keep working together no. very much longer than that. But it was just such a weird. <laughs> like, it was so weird. That was so <laughs> was weird. Like, oh, now I believe you. <laughs> wow, 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 lady, you but were wrong. <laughs> what you were doing good at reminded me of something else I was doing good at, which is having a really strong butt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a marrow butt though too? I have a really strong butt, uh, but I lifted like sixty pounds with my butt, and I, what? <laughs> who knew? Yeah, my trainer had me. You know, you do like glute bridges, sure. And she had me put the like the barbell, you put it across it. your um, hips, hips, and do the glute bridges. And then after I did it, she was like, "That was sixty pounds." So my butt wow. is the strongest part of me by far. I couldn't lift it off myself with my arms to hand it back to her. Like, oh, seriously? So much stronger than the oh rest my of God. Oh, my God. I was dying to know what you did with your butt to test the strength of it. So I was <laughs> glad. I was very curious where that was going. Well, I then found out how much those Tracy Anderson private classes cost. And then I got real sad because I was like, this is not a sustainable oh, man. endeavor for me. You're going to be have- dancing on your patio. <laughs> 
I know. I mean, I'm dancing. I do it at home. It's just like there's something about being in yeah. a space with a teacher who's like pushing you yeah. to to just do it, you know, like yeah. and you just kind of and you just get into it like it. It's hard to get it up in my, you know, TV room. Yeah. The, in the same way. You know, well, I try. Surgeries. Right. That's right. I got to save that money. Can you have a trainer come to your, to your still? I feel like it's still not the same because I want like the floors and I want the, I want the space. I don't have the space. You know what I mean? Right. Like I'm like all crammed into this corner next to the sofa, next to windows here. And I have space heaters that I put up to try to make it warm. Like, oh, you like it hot. Oh yeah. Like LecFit in LA is heated and Tracy Anderson's heated. And I just feel like. I don't know. I like, I need this. I retain so much water, whatever that body type is that retains like a ton of water. That's what I have. Human. No, <laughs> no. You know, mine is abnormal. You've seen it, Casey, firsthand. Bodies are like, what are they like? 70% water? Yes. But you've seen, don't, let's not, we, I, you, you have to back me up here. No, do I, I do it. I, or do I not retain more water than anyone <laughs> That you know other than maybe Ike Barinholtz. <laughs> it's true. You do. Yes, you do have that magic trick where you can like get rid of some water. I like, guys, I can gain and lose, I would say, seven pounds of water in one week. Yeah. Like I retain so much water. I retained so much water when I was pregnant with Birdie. This is not a joke. When I was Nine months pregnant with Birdie, I went to a pregnancy acupuncturist and he put the needles in my legs and water started dripping out for real water. That's how much like I was retaining so much water and I didn't have hypertension or anything like I just whatever. I don't know. There's just something about my body. I like went to go get some rings of mine fixed because, um, I slam my hands against tables a lot and I deform my rings. (laughs) Oh, guys, we're doing great over here. And the woman was like trying to measure my finger because she's like, these aren't even circular anymore. So I don't even know what size they are. Felt a little shady, but um, (laughs) but so she was measuring and I was like, I don't think this is going to be accurate because I could tell I was really swollen that day. And I was like, this is the all these rings are going to be too fucking big. I know it. But I don't oh my know. gosh. You're going to be, when you get old, this is what it's going to be like. When I worked in the nursing home, some of the, the ladies that were like water retainer ladies that were don't like- Don't tell me this. This is going to make me so ed- sad. Edema ladies. I don't like this. I already don't like this. When you would like wake them up in the morning before you would wake them up, their eyelids would be like, you could like touch their eyelids and like an ocean wave would go across their eyelids. <laughs> Ew. Like it would be like a blit, like a giant blister. Why were you touching their eyelids to see it do that? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, listen, I, I don't think so. I think I'll look, I think I'll be like my grandma moot. I think I'll, I think I'll look like her. She didn't have terrible edema when she was an old lady. I'm going to live to be 106. So right. we'll see. All right. All right. No, well, thanks. let's get, let's get to our interview. I felt like, I know this isn't the usual doing our best interview 
because normally we really talk about pivots and stuff with our guests, but I just feel like the mental health crisis in children, teens, young adults in this country right now is, is and we, I'm, we're not wrong because we talked to an expert about it, <laughs> that it's just, that it's really something that like we need to keep talking about as much as we can. And, uh, and we want to give as many people resources as possible in order to facilitate them being able to get kids and teens and young people in their lives any help that they might need. And so um, Dr. Harold who's the president and founder of the Child Mind Institute here in New York City, wrote a really great parenting book called The Scaffold Effect, which I'm trying to implement some scaffold parenting here in this house. Um, but we just, we wanted to have him on to like just chat about this time and the effect that it's having on our kids. I know that a lot of parents listen to this podcast and I know that a lot of people listen to this podcast who maybe don't have kids yet or may never have kids or still kind of feel like kids themselves. And this has just been like a very tricky time mental health wise. And we wanted to chat with Dr. Harold and he's a very interesting person and has a lot of stories. A real character. A real character. He's a real character, Ashley. (laughs) We love a New York character. He's a real New York character. Um, But also just like putting it out there that this is just like a normal, it's a normal thing that we have to talk about. It's, it's, I know it's hard for people, adults to talk about their mental health. We have to like start talking to all of our kids about it as well, because this is a thing that affects literally every, like almost every kid out there, you know, with, and especially right now, especially in this time. And so that's all. That's all, guys. That's that's our interview today. And it is really funny and interesting. And I did text Casey in the beginning. This might be my favorite interview we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take a listen. We're so excited to be talking to you today. Uh, Dr. Harold Koplowitz. Um, is joining us now. Uh, Harold is the president of the Child Child Mind Institute here in New York, and has a new book called The Scaffold Effect: Raising Resilient, Self Reliant, and Secure Kids in an Age of Anxiety. And one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on today, Harold, is first of all, I love the book, and I'm trying to implement some scaffolding parenting myself. We've got a we've got miles to go the scaffold is maybe made of toothpicks and no no we Elmer's need support and point. structure and encouragement <laughs> but i but busy i i watch i participate i look and listen to your podcast and the the fact that cricket recently was showing you her painting i, I think you're scaffolding your daughter you know Thank it's you. you know because remember it's not only that success can be an option Failure can be an option. We want our kids to try new things, to get out of their comfort zone, go into their growth zone. And Cricket certainly is risking and going into her growth zone all the time. So yeah, I'm. I actually have to say that this is a this. That's been a big thing for Cricket. Um, she's definitely my kid who suffered a bit from the like not wanting to fail 
thing and uh, and being afraid to even like ask questions because she she didn't want to fail. You know, she didn't want to ask the wrong question. Um, and she was a little bit younger in her grade in school. And I think that had something to do with it. And also she was in a school previously before we got to New York where they really like um, tracked the kids out in kindergarten for like reading and math so that they could meet the kids at their levels. But also what it did was that it put this weird pressure on the kids because they felt like it meant something if they were like not in the top reading group, like the best readers or the best ones at math. What do you feel about that kind of thing? So I think it all depends on how it's done, right? I think that all of our kids have deficits, weaknesses, and strengths, right? And as parents, we try to minimize the deficits. So we get a reading tutor or we even get them a baseball coach. You know, you have a a klutzy kid, you go into the backyard and you keep throwing the ball so that you increase the chances of the ball getting into the mitt. Um, And when, you know, do you remember that movie, Parenthood, where Steve Martin has this very quirky, odd kid and he keeps throwing the ball and there's the famous game, the little game, and his quirky, odd kid puts his glove up and by chance the ball goes into the glove and the kid wins the game. And dad makes a, you know, a, a special, you know, winning dance. And the mother says to him, nothing has changed. He's still a quirky kid. He still needs to go to therapy. It's just <laughs> that you increase the chances of the ball getting into his glove because you went out in the backyard and you threw it to him a thousand times. That's a scaffolding parent. That's a parent who says, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to structure you. I am going to support you. But I'm also going to recognize that you do need some help here that you are not a natural athlete. And since it's easier for kids who play sports than kids who don't play sports, I'm going to help you with that. And so that's, you know, that's a good example of that. And I think the same thing happens in school. I think there's nothing wrong with pointing out which kids need more help with reading and which kids seem to be gifted in math. It's just that if you don't do it in a careful way, you can really hurt your kid's self-esteem. I mean, our middle son had terrible dyslexia. Uh, We thought we were really taking care of it. We took him to a speech and language person when he was four. And then when he was in third grade and reading tutor, and in third grade, he punched another kid in the nose. And we were called because they said he was aggressive and he wasn't really an aggressive kid. And when we spoke to him about it, he literally said to us, um, someone called me stupid and I am stupid. I was two steps behind everyone in reading but I was always two steps ahead of everyone in math and they've turned math into reading. And what he was talking about is word problems, right? Oh and my so, gosh, yeah. so quite clearly, and then the best part is he says to us, and the smart kids are in the hawks and the stupid kids are in the sparrows and I'm in the sparrows group and hawks eat sparrows. And I'm thinking, you're not the stupid kid. The teacher's an idiot. Who <laughs> names, you know, who names the slow readers sparrows and the fast readers hawks. But you really, what was worrying to us was that his self-esteem was going to be damaged. There's yeah. nothing wrong with telling your kid the truth and saying reading is hard for you. That's why we're going to practice. That's why we do reading all the time. And math is really easy for you. So you don't have to practice this as much. So I don't think tracking is the problem. I think it's the way we message it to our children. Mm-hmm. You know, and so well, if, you, if you think you're in the sparrows and everyone is a hawk, you're afraid you're going to be eaten. You know, it's, it's, right. it's not good for your self-esteem. 
at this point, because of the way that the education system is, we have a lot of, a lot of our listeners are parents. A lot of our listeners have young kids. A lot of our listeners have preteens. And a lot of our listeners are dealing with past educational scars. Even that's right. Even people who aren't parents are dealing with things that happened to them in the educational system where they're like, that kind of messed me up when I was a kid. Right. Right. And, and I have to tell you, you know, it's interesting because we're talking about scaffolding. I hate parenting books where the expert is shaking his finger at you and making you feel totally inadequate. So I made a point of putting in all my foibles, all the things I screwed up. And it's under the category, do not do this at home. And um, I have three sons and one of my sons is socially very reticent. He's 37 years old. He doesn't believe in chit chat. He tells me I'm, I tell too many anecdotes, stick to the point, you know, and He said to me that, you know, when he was in fifth grade, he came home and he announced to his mother and me that he was going to perform a dance with his best friend, Adam, in front of the entire Thanksgiving Day assembly in middle school. I couldn't think of a worse idea. I was thinking I have patients that are talking about the traumatic scars they feel from one of those terrible, embarrassing moments. And he said, no, it's going to be great. It's going to be a a homage to Michael Jordan. I love Michael Jordan. He had posters of Michael Jordan. And uh, and Adam and I are going to do it. And my wife, who's just as socially reticent, she says, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I think, why why don't you just perform surgery on the stage? Because that's that's how bad this is going to be. And a few days before, three days before the assembly, he comes home and he says, Adam is backed out. I said, well, you know, it wasn't meant to be. Not everything we plan happens. And he says, no, I'm going to do it by myself. I've been working with the dance instructor and she's helped choreograph it. I, I can't think of a more horrible idea. The whole thing is just making you're me like sick. You're <laughs> like parent Harold, not the doctor Harold, right, so, uh, is like, so, you're literally <laughs> like, this is terrible and I can't let my kid do this. And thankfully... That was my inside voice. My outside voice was silent. I kept shaking my head. And there goes my socially reticent wife saying, oh, I'm sure it's going to be great. So the day comes. I'm clearly at the hospital seeing patients. My wife actually teaches at the school. She's an art teacher at the school. I call her a few hours later and she says it was amazing. He, He just performed. Everyone loved it. You wouldn't believe how much stage presence he has. Okay. Fast forward 20 years. This is in the book. It's his 30th birthday. His friend Elias stands up and says, hi, my name is Elias. Everyone knows Joshua is my best friend. I love Joshua. And that's the only reason, since I hate public speaking, that I'm willing to stand up and say happy birthday. But Joshua doesn't know that the first time I laid eyes on him was at the Thanksgiving Day Assembly when he was in fifth grade and I was in fourth grade. And when they announced that Josh Koplowitz from House 52 was going to do an interpretive dance in honor of Michael Jordan, even in fourth grade, I knew this was social suicide. And yet, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and, and yet the stage was dark. A spotlight came on Joshua. He was wearing a baseball hat backwards, a Chicago Bulls basketball baggy outfit. He had his head down. And within a minute, he started spinning. He flipped over. Chris Cross was playing in the background. And everyone was on their feet screaming, go, Josh, go, Josh. And then I saw him on Monday after Thanksgiving, he says, and there he was holding too many books, his head down, walking unobtrusively through the hallway. And Aaliyah said, I spoke to my parents so many times about how brave Josh was to do that. And I thought to myself when I was listening to this and I put it in the book, 
if I would have said, don't do this, you can die from embarrassment, which we mm-hmm. know you can't, or that failure is an option. It's okay. If it doesn't work out, you'll stand up and do it again. He not only was great for himself, it was a real Napoleon dynamite moment, but it was also <laughs> really important for all these other socially reticent, nerdy kids in the yeah. school who, who said, Josh could do something great. And I think that his parents we want to protect our kids. You know, it's right. in our DNA and we want to fix it. And that's not the way to get a resilient child. Right. Scaffolding is the exact opposite of swooping in and being a helicopter. And I yeah. think that I think that there's a whole generation of parents like my age now who are dealing with this idea of not wanting to be a helicopter parent, but at the same time also wanting to protect their kid. And like in my particular instance with my 13 year old, I had without getting like too much into details, but I, we've had a really interesting few years and, uh, birdie, uh, came out. And when they came out as gay at their old school, there was a lot of bullying around it and it wasn't handled well, but, Birdie, like being resilient, decided they wanted to run for president of their grade. And Mark and I also had the conversation like, are, is this going to be one of those situations where we're setting where our kid, we need to protect our kid? There's a difference between what I'm trying to say is that these kids are dealing with some really serious issues as well. And there's a difference between protecting your child from like real harm because there is there is the opportunity for real harm, like in from some of what's happening out there in the world or a dance on a stage or even Bernie standing up and giving the speech to be president, um, which wasn't harmful. Yes. I think the difference is that if, if you remember when you're on an airplane, the flight attendant always says when the air pressure drops, put the mask on yourself before you put it on your kids it's very hard for us to do that. It feels like I have to protect my child first, not myself. And I think that if we can stand back a little bit and say, what is the risk to my child? You know, it's going to be some more embarrassment. It might be failing a math test. And after they've studied really, really hard for it, and they still get celebrated for the effort, but then we we figure out and we brainstorm with them. We don't fix it. We don't take the test for them. We don't tell them, don't tell anyone you're gay or don't, you know, don't be proud and stand mm-hmm. up there. Don't take the risk of running for office. We really are there to, put. you know, the whole concept of a scaffold is not only support and structure and encouragement. It's also that we stand on planks and the plank should be patience, mm-hmm. awareness, warmth. Mm-hmm dispassion, which I bet you busy. I know Harold's not very good at, which means don't get, don't get overly enthusiastic. Don't cheerlead too much. Don't blow too much smoke and then don't catastrophize and last monitor. So the business with dispassion is your kid has a fight with someone. When someone hurt one of my boys, I was ready to take a contract out on that kid. I wanted, (laughs) I wanted that kid hit and hit hard. And when two weeks later they were friends again with my son, I felt like what happened Do the contract didn't work. I wanted that kid eliminated. (laughs) That's not dispassion. Dispassion is you hold back and you help your kid negotiate with people who he has fights with, or she has disagreements with. And he, and he doesn't have to be friends with everyone, but 
that's really hard because there's part of us that just so much wants to protect the kid that we don't want that. And inevitably that takes away from independence because if you tell them right. don't run for office, or if I told Josh, don't do that dance, um, they, you know, they become risk adverse. I mean, what you want is right. not to swoop in. You want to give them a whole bunch of tools and hope they pick the right tool at the right moment when they're in trouble. Hard, not easy. Well, it's hard. It's not easy. I really appreciate it in the book when you're like, it's fine to think your kid's an asshole <laughs> at times. I, I want to give you full transparency. I did write that. And then Audible asked me to read the book. And so it took four <laughs> uh-huh. days. You know, your voice is too low. It should be, that's not pronounced the correct way. You said boys, you mean boy. I mean, for someone who doesn't do this professionally, it was challenging. And then that sentence came up. Sometimes we have to admit our kids can be assholes. And I said, oh my God, did I really <laughs> write that? And I went and I pulled the book and said, yes, it's so much better when you when you wrote it and you read it than say it out loud. But I thought about it. It's so true. All of us love our children and you shouldn't call your child an asshole. But, but No, that's the, th- and you make the <laughs> distinction in the book. I want to be clear. It's not okay to call your kid names, even in the moment when they're acting like they're right. One. But you just, you have to have that dispassion. Right. That's the thing I've struggled with my whole life. But I really feel like honestly, in the past year, I've like, I'm getting it. Where you have to like, you have to have the dispassion and then, you know, an hour later you can call your partner or your spouse or whatever, or you tell your therapist, your own personal therapist. But, you know, it is hard. I've always found it really helpful when my kids have been assholes in the past (laughs) because I'll tell you, to be honest, because that's the moment when I'm like, you know what? They are people. They're their own people. And I'm an asshole sometimes, and they're an asshole sometimes, and this is a good time to go to our own corners and talk to each other later when we're all not being our own people so forcefully. So you, so it's really interesting. You said um, go to your own corners. There's a story in the book. I mean, I, I talk about patience a lot, and the patients yeah. have all become pieces of different patients. You know, you really want to protect their identity. My son's I used my son's real stories. And in the book, it says I got permission from everyone. It's a lie. I did not get permission. From I did not get a permission from my children. I figured if they want to sue me, go ahead, sue me. I'll yep. apologize. I was because I knew if I asked for permission, they would say no. They're so, going to get uh, it from you eventually, Dr. Kopplowitz. Right, right. So sooner than later. <laughs> anyway, um, there is a point where our young, we get a phone call about our youngest son. He's in eighth grade. And For those people who are listening who have more than one child, you know that when your first child falls, you run and you pick them up and say, are you okay? When your second child falls, you walk over, Mm -hmm. you dust them off and you say, you're fine. When your third child falls, you scream out and say, come here, you're all right. And when your fourth (laughs) child falls, you don't even know they fell. It's like, so this benign neglect. And here we have this very happy-go-lucky, socially engaging kid. And I get a phone call in March, right before spring break, from a colleague and a friend. And he says, Harold, I have to tell you, I've been trying to reach you. On Wednesday, I was at a dinner party and someone told me that Sam and two of his friends were either completely wasted, drunk or stoned at a party on Saturday. Oh my God. And I, oh my God. And I said, you must be mistaken. He can't be Sam, which is not what you're supposed to say. <laughs> and he said, Harold, I love you. You introduced me to, you introduced me to my wife. I hope that if this ever happened to Katie or Jake, you would call. 
but I'll give you the names of the people who told me, but I'm telling you, it sounds accurate. So I hung up the phone. I started thinking about it. And I remember on Saturday night when we left the house, everything seemed cool, but you know, something could have happened. I was kind of disappointed because I really had the most open relationship with my third kid. He was the talker and he made this whole promise about marijuana that he wouldn't smoke marijuana until he graduated high school. And here he oh, really man. got wasted. And so I call my wife, I tell her, and she said, oh, they must be mistaken. It can't be Sam. And I said, no, 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 it was Sam. I, I think you should just tell him he's grounded because I had an evening meeting. And she said, you got to be kidding. Come home. I'm not doing this by myself. And so we get home and I say, we know everything that happened on Saturday night. You can get into more trouble or less trouble. Um, you, you have to tell us the truth. You can see tears are in his eyes. And I said, and by the way, you've lost my trust. Oh my God. It's, and in this moment, you're thinking this really hurts me more than it hurts him. I, I, I want to punish him. I'm so upset. And he says, I drank vodka. I said, okay, what about marijuana? He said, no, I promised you I wouldn't smoke marijuana. Okay. I let my wife says, where'd you get the vodka? One of my friends brought it over. My wife says, how much did you drink? He says, three shots. My wife says, we don't have any shot glasses. What did you use as a shot? Orange juice glasses. So oh, Lord. he had three big glasses of orange juice. I felt myself so upset, so angry that I remember saying to him, let's go to our own corners and there will be a consequence, but we're not going to talk anymore right now. And we had to think about, you know, the fact that A, he drank vodka and B, that um, he broke our trust um, and, and the punishment didn't kill him. We basically told a very social kid that he was grounded for a month and that if he, he wasn't put in his room, but he had to hang with us. So he had to go to dinner with us or to a movie with us. And he certainly knew that if he ever did it again, the consequence would be greater. I have to tell you, I called the other parents. He was very upset about that. Yeah. To tell them, And one of the parents said, oh, they did it again. And I <gasps> remember saying to the mother, Beth, what do you mean? She said, oh, they... They did it in December, Christmas time. I said, you didn't tell us? Oh, they were just being kids, being kids. And I, I was so annoyed with her. I almost said, and that's why they have parents, because they're right. not supposed to be drinking at 13 or 14, you know, vodka. And the fact that you let it go and didn't tell us and didn't give us the courtesy, you know, if you want your kid drinking, that's okay. But it really, it shook us for a few reasons. A, I was embarrassed. You mean, right. I was embarrassed. I'm the child psychiatrist in the village. You know, people are talking about me, telling me that I'm a bad, you know what I mean? Like craziness. It was about right, him. Of and also about the fact of, did we have good communication? Could we trust him? Could we, you know, what happens the next time? And by the way, it turned out to be a really teachable moment. Even though there was a punishment, he was the guy who, when girls got drunk in high school, he was the one who took them to the emergency room. He was the one who made sure they got home, even if it wasn't his date. He recognized that this was, we, we had a conversation saying you could get so seriously ill from that level of vodka that you can get uh, alcohol poisoning. He took it to heart and it really made him more responsible. I, you know, he's 32 years old now yeah. and he still smokes marijuana, but that's not here nor there. <laughs> he, you know, he but also he kept his promise. Right. Beth, if you're listening, that was that was not the move. Oh, you should have told oh, you Beth really blew it. Come on. Yeah, blew Beth it. blew it. I know. I was gonna I was gonna say that um I had a moment like I was proud of parenting recently in, in the past few weeks. Um and then I've had lots that I'm not <laughs> proud of. But I did but I did say one of my kids made a real bad error in judgment. And I'm not gonna put on blast which one. <laughs> You can probably get <laughs> anyway. 
And I said, I said, and they felt so like my kid felt so bad about it and was like, I knew it was a bad idea. That's what, you know, I knew it was a bad idea. I knew it was stupid. I'm so stupid. And I was like, you're not stupid. You're human. We all do things at one point or another that we know we really shouldn't be doing. But what determines what kind of person you really are is how you handle yourself immediately after. And you came to us and you have remorse and you asked us to help you fix it. And like all of those things make me feel really good about you. This isn't the, the last time that you're going to do something stupid. I mean, I do stupid stuff like at least once a week. Casey, what would you say? <laughs> we, I mean, Twice? both of us are Twice like a week? stupid stuff all Three the time. Three times a week? Yeah. I'm doing stu- stupid stuff. But like, but the, just for me, the important thing is like that they under, that my kids understand that like ha- what immediately, like, yes, let's make, let's try to make better decisions always, of course. But. But also yeah. it's a perfect you know. model, Busy, in the respect that parenting is the only sport that you have redos all the time. You know, you don't get a redo in football or you can't redo your serve in tennis. I mean, you could do mulligans in golf and stuff, but then people don't like playing with you. You, you know, you <laughs> do get to say, I made a mistake. I'm going to redo that. I was too harsh or I was too lenient. I didn't take this seriously enough. And you go back and you say to your kid, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I handled that poorly. Let's do that again. And that's perfectly all right. First of all, it's a good model for your kids to see that when you make a mistake, you admit it and you and you redo it. So that's important. And the fact is we can't, there's always a chance to redo the blueprint. So that just because you haven't been scaffolding all along doesn't mean you can't help the kid build a good building tomorrow. Um, I, I have this whole thing that it's so hard now during COVID, but I try to explain to parents, we are negative trackers. By nature, we can tell you what's wrong with this picture. And if you change that and say, let me track all the behavior. Let me catch my child being good. Let me find three good things and say, thank you for setting the table. Thank you, Bernie, for telling that terrific story. I needed a laugh. Thank you for cleaning up. Even, you know, I asked you and you did a really good job before you say one negative constructive criticism. So catch Mm -hmm. your child being good three times. Now, what will happen is your kid is certain after two weeks, will start giving you more and more good behavior because they love hearing praise like that, specific praise. The first thing the kid is going to say, someone stole my mother, who's the body snatcher, (laughs) my mother, because where is that witch who was constantly telling me, stop chewing with my, put the napkin in my lap, all this insignificant nonsense that we focus on. But, and it's good for spouses to do. You know, try saying three positive things for every one time you want to criticize your spouse. Um, And the other thing that is really important is that if you change that, well, then you can change the trajectory of your relationship, right? You you don't become a nitpicker. You're looking for the stuff that they do good. And this is where, this is why I really, really, I really think this book is so great. And I'm going to start doing some scaffolding things. And I actually am making Mark read it too, because we do have, we're in the homework fight, you know, (laughs) currently. And guys, if you're at home and you also are in the homework fight, um, who's not (laughs) in the homework fight, I guess is the question at this point. But, um, there's some real practical ways to kind of 
deal with it and and de-escalate it, which I'm looking forward to implementing in my home. Harold. Yeah, I'm glad. And then the, you have my telephone number. So if it doesn't work, you're going to call <laughs> me. But the, the piece that I think is really quite important is when we think about parenting, it is a journey, right? And there's going to be some bumps in the road. There are going to be kids who get depressed and there are going to be kids who have learning problems. And there are going to be catastrophes like COVID where we just have to step back and reevaluate. So for instance, I think all parents should reevaluate their expectations for their kids' academic achievement during COVID. The good part is that right. kids under the age of 24, they will bounce back. They will learn faster. These learning losses, if you come from the middle class or upper class, the schools will fix this for you. How do we help kids that are that you know are in underserved communities? Yeah. Like if you are someone of privilege, what what can we do? So I, I, you know, we're working now with, um, we're, we're in co- conversations with the governor of California. And also we worked with the entire New York City public school system, talking to them about what's a good toolkit that we should have for every teacher and for every parent, a digital toolkit to help them with re-entry, because it is not going to be a piece of cake for everyone. There's going to be a whole bunch of kids who are going to be overwhelmed with how much learning they haven't had. And I think there's going to be a lot of kids who are socializing are going to be very difficult. So kids who were separation anxious to begin with, the kids who were too clingy to mom and dad and always had trouble going to school, well, now they're exposed to separation again. The kids who are socially anxious, who worry about looking pathological, you know, they're pathologically self-conscious, they've been home. They don't have to worry about that. So there's going to be a good 20% who are going to have trouble psychologically. It's going to be a very long tail. And there's going to be at least 20% and maybe more in kids of poverty uh, who are going to have that learning loss, which, you know, I think there should be summer school. I think we should use our tax dollars and public schools should offer a summer school option to give you that kind of boot camp, academic boot camp. I think that, you know, there should be um, study hall clubs uh, this fall in most public schools because for a lot of kids who are barely holding on with too many kids in the class, too few teachers per student, um, I worry that some of those kids just let go and they don't come back. My wife teaches and watching her remote teach 15, 10-year-olds, <laughs> this is a reality show. You know, Jason, where did you go, Jason? He fell off the screen. <laughs> or another kid, the camera's not on. I mean, this is this is going to be tough. Uh, well, look and at I, us you know, trying to start the beginning of this podcast. Yeah, like, the, yes, imagine yeah. being a teacher. I don't know if this is unique to me. I feel very in touch with who I was as a child. I don't know why that... I feel like I can just reach back and remember what it was like to be 7, 10, 12, 15. And I just feel like it was like being in the sea all the time. You know what I mean? And like, yes. you're you're just floating. And sometimes you can grab onto something for a minute. And so I've been thinking a lot about kids like going back out into the sea. <laughs> well, know? I would tell you, so I would tell you that most kids will be okay. Yeah. So the kids under the age of five, they're, this is a holiday. They get to spend so much time with mom right. and dad. There isn't one child, a four-year-old saying, oh, I miss daycare. Mm-hmm. No one is saying they miss daycare. They love being with mommy and daddy. Right. And five-year-olds to 12-year-olds may be struggling with some distance learning or these hybrids. This is not as easy as having a teacher in the classroom touching you on the shoulder and saying, come on, pay attention, or let's try this again. But the kids who took the biggest losses 
are 13 to 24 year olds. Right. They, they, they're they not getting their junior prom back. A kid who's been working his ass off to become the quarterback, uh, varsity right. quarterback, or make the varsity team, the tennis team, or get onto the soccer team, that's gone. We're yeah. not giving that back to them. Yeah. Or the first date, or the first kiss, yeah. or, or or getting into that clique you wanted to, or the math team. You know, yeah. geeky, nerdy, sporty, jockey, it doesn't make a difference. You lost. And we, as parents of teenagers, have to be very honest with them that this is worse for them than it is for us. Because yeah. when we look back on this, it'll be a terrible time. It'll be like the Great Depression or World War II, World War One. but it's a blip. And for the 13 to 24-year-old, and if you went to college, this is ridiculous. You go to college, even if you're living in a dorm, you're doing your right. classes on a screen. What, what happened to hooking up? You know? yeah. <laughs> Both of my sons, my younger son <laughs> lost his senior prom, his graduation, his freshman year of college. My older son lost his junior year and senior year of college. Well, I have to tell you, I have a whole bunch of patients who tell me that they, you know, they're going to stay away from their parents. They're in their 20s. <laughs> And they're not going to go near their grandparents, but they're hinging and bumbling and they're doing. And I said, you know, they say, Dr. Coppins, you look so unnerved. I said, <laughs> I, not only do I need you to wear a condom, I want you to wear a mask. I mean, what are, you talk, <laughs> what are you talking about? But this is my question to you because I do think, I know I see it with my teenager, preteenager. I mean, really right. a teenager. But I have so many friends who have kids that are starting, you know, 12 and then up and like Casey's. And uh, I am really concerned. Like I've heard more really scary stories in the last, I would say like four months, four months. Like it's like almost like it's almost like a lot of kids like really and teenagers like really like powered through and now everybody's kind of hit a wall. I feel like I hit a wall. You know what I mean? And uh, and I've heard a lot of really upsetting stories about kids um, being suicidal. Well, that's, so, so let's so let's just let's talk about that for a second. This is a major stressor. Your adolescent. So the most common illnesses of childhood and adolescence are mental health disorders. So there are 17 million kids in the United States who have or have had a mental health disorder before the age of 18. There's 15,000 kids who had cancer. There are 200,000 with diabetes and 7 million with asthma. So these are the most common. It's one out of five, which means if it's not any... Wait, I'm sorry. Wait, 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 wait. Harold, wait. Tell me again. Mental health, how Mental many kids? health disorders are 17.1 million. Wow. Asthma is 7 million. Peanut allergies is 7 million. Diabetes is 200. And cancer, and what is 50, cancer? 15,000. So when we started the Chalmine Institute, the model was St. Jude's. I love St. Jude's Children's Hospital, a small hospital in Memphis, Tennessee with 78 beds, which 55 years ago put a laser focus on childhood leukemia, pediatric leukemia. And they made it so that 94 out of 100 kids now live who had pediatric leukemia. But they also made cancer less scary. And I thought... I need to develop a St. Jude's for childhood mental health disorders. And that's what the Trauma Institute is, an independent nonprofit that's laser focused. The only difference is, is that everyone has this. Everybody listening to your podcast knows and loves one of these kids. Because if it's not your son or daughter, it's your niece or nephew, or it's your best friend from college's kid, or it's your daughter's best friend. So the fact that the majority of these kids don't get help, 
you know, is outrageous because these are real, they're common, and they're amazingly treatable. They're so much more treatable than if any one of the three of us got depressed tomorrow. Depression in adults is serious, and you usually have to take medicine for a very long time. Depression in your teen years is much more frequent for teenagers than adults, but nevertheless, 12 weeks of cognitive behavioral therapy with a low dose of an SSRI, Zoloft, Prozac, you know, Lexapro, 81% of the kids get better. Well, there's nothing that has that kind of treatment response. So the problem is you have to be able to diagnose this. You have to be willing to accept your kid has the problem and you have to go find someone that knows how to do the treatment, knows how to do an evidence-based treatment like cognitive behavioral therapy and knows that you have to give a low dose of these medicines and you have to be patient and watch the kid carefully. That seems to me to be criminal that we're not doing this and we have a suicide rate that jumped from 5,000 to 6,120 deaths before COVID and it just jumped again. And we have 1.2 million teenagers showing up every year in emergency rooms for suicidal thoughts and suicidal behavior. That means two kids every minute. So this country, the only silver lining as far as I'm concerned of COVID is that we're talking about children's mental health. And one of the things in the book I do in Scaffold is say, this is normal. This is a problem. This is a disorder because parents have trouble. Yeah, oh, I love them. that. Guys, Harold wrote these little things out, which is like, uh, is it rambunctiousness or ADHD? Normal. And then you list these things that like are within the range of normal. Problem. This is a, this might be a problem. This is, you know, disorder. And then you list the things that would sort of indicate it. Listen, this is not for you to diagnose your kid. It's just for you to like have information so that you can if you have a concern you have a red flag and get get help yeah and that's the other silver lining telemental health it's not going to disappear the child mind institute before covid was seeing 200 kids a day in california and new york in person yesterday we saw 310 kids online on a screen and we saw 28 kids in person so a we're seeing more kids than ever before i mean there's a real problem we're reaching overcapacity. But the fact that you can get on a screen and get evidence-based treatment, get a diagnosis and get a treatment plan, and your kid doesn't have to, you know, travel and there's less stigma because you don't have to be in a waiting room. Hopefully this will get become a very important component post-COVID of the way we deliver this care. I think it could be the democratization of children's mental health care in the United States because so many kids don't have access to it. Because I assure you, Busy. No one thinks that when their kid is born, they're going to go to a mental health professional. They think about orthodontia or maybe a broken bone, but they never think, oh, my God, my kid's going to have to see a shrink. And to help them. I mean, I did, but I'm an actress. <laughs> well, okay. I, can, you know, I can say like, I, that was it was a given. <laughs> Dr. Harold, I can say that in my family, we had we had some issues with childhood depression. And at the time, it was really hard to even find out where to start to just even find anyone to talk to us at first. Um, and also to find someone who knows what they're doing. Yes. I mean, I'm sorry. So the numbers are terrible. There's only 8,500 child psychiatrists in the United States. And a lot of them uh, don't want to see little kids. And, and, and a lot of them don't want to work past five o'clock. You know, child psychiatry gets practiced a lot from four to eight after kids come home from school, right? right. So you have to, you really have to love this. I, I happen to tell you, I'm considered an old child psychiatrist because I'm <laughs> over 60 and I still would become a child psychiatrist in a New York minute. I, where else do you get 
to change the trajectory of a kid's life. That if you make the right diagnosis and give them the right treatment, they can go on. And, and by the way, because I do enough TV, you know, a few times a year, I had a man who's 50 years old, who's the head of the urology department at a hospital somewhere in the South, who saw me on television and said, I just wanted to reach out to you. I'm sure I was one of your first patients. I was 15 years old. And I still remember some of the stuff you said to me. And I'm so glad you still have a mustache. I have one too. Uh, but I really, uh. where do you get someone to thank you for what you did for them? And yeah. that it was really obviously a meaningful, I actually remember him. You really get to touch someone's heart. So I, you know, I don't get to surgery, but I, I get to change lives. I mean, I just have to say, I, I, and I want to say this so that my listeners can hear it. Like, I think that, you know, you would think, you would think. I obviously, you know, work in Hollywood. I have connections. I know fancy people. I, whatever. Trying to find a therapist for my kid who had would do after school hours. They're like, oh, I could see 10 a.m. on Wednesdays. I'm like, well, that's that that would be hard because I believe that social studies. <laughs> um, trying to trying to find a therapist that would do CBT or DBT with my kid because they weren't old enough. Oh, we don't start CBT or DBT until 15. Like, well, okay, that's not going to help me. I need, you know what I mean? And DBT is dialectical behavioral training, right? right? So it's, and then CBT it's cognitive, is cognitive so let's, behavioral. Let's help the audience out. So therapy. CBT is okay. the way you think affects the way you behave, which affects the way you feel. And so if we could, I'm a fat pig. No one likes me. I feel awful. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to go to school. And if you could get that kid mm -hmm. to jog around the reservoir, maybe I'm not a fat pig. Maybe some beta endorphins are surging in my head. Or maybe if I take a shower, or maybe if I could study a little bit. And it's a very manualized approach, and it really works. It works in about three quarters of the kids who, who participate. But it's not just supportive therapy. It's not psychoanalytic. It's not telling you that your mother didn't suckle you the right way or she wiped your rear end too hard or too soft. None of that nonsense. It is really about the here and now. Now, DBT turns out to be Zen Buddhism meets cognitive behavioral therapy. So I hate myself. I want to die. I'm so depressed. And the dialectic is to say, it's okay. You can live with that feeling. Let's live with that feeling together. Let's ride that wave together of awfulness, of hating yourself, because 10 minutes ago, you weren't feeling so bad. So we'll ride that wave and you'll learn that that wave's temporary, that that feeling is not something you have to live with. And it's done in groups. And again, very manualized. You really have to know what you're doing. Uh, not everyone can do it. And it's done again. You, you are monitoring how is the kid doing. Plus, the kid's allowed to talk to the therapist every day. So if you have a bad feeling, it's, you have to hold the bad feeling till 6.30 because from 6.30 to 7.30, you can have 10 minutes with the therapist every day. And after a while, you don't want the 10 minutes. So it is really a here and oh, now kind of treatment versus what I, I went through psychoanalysis, you know, as part of my training where I lied on a couch and free associated, uh, you know, uh, the treatment wasn't going to end until the <laughs> analyst died. I mean, it was like, uh, I, was, I was never going to get better. Well, I 
I think it's interesting. I think people know about talk therapy, right? right? But they don't necessarily know that there are, there's like skill building therapies that can help especially and have good results with kids and uh, teens and young adults and then also just adult adults. Um, And I just, I do feel like we need to encourage more people to go into this, first of all. Right. Like. We don't have enough. We do not have. I feel like. Casey, I feel like your son would be great. He would be a great he's thought about child it. He, therapist. He's like, um, he's like, what if I was like a hiking therapist? Is there like a therapist that like hikes and does therapy with me? <laughs> wait, by the way, wait, first of all, wait, do you know that I have a friend in Los Angeles who has a hiking therapist? It's his whole thing. But is the therapist helping him get to become a better hiker or hiking is just the activity they do while they talk? He's like, no, he's that, like, he, they, they yeah. hike and do therapy, okay. right? Yeah. He's like, he, he thinks he could be a therapist if there was like a physical activity that you did while you were there. That's kind of refreshing. Therapy. There's also, because most therapists are not all that fit. This sounds, this hiking <laughs> therapist sounds like he could be a fit therapist. I like it. He's like, maybe, maybe I like surfing, it. bike riding, something. No, there's, you know, there's, no, there's a tennis therapist in LA oh, too. Do you know that? Harold, have you ever heard of the tennis no, therapist? No, but it does sound, I'm sorry, it does sound very L.A. You know, <laughs> it's super L.A. Not New York at all. Harold, please. You know, we went for the interview at our kids' school, went for on right, Zoom right. for an interview with the kids' school when when I found out I was, we were, we're going to stay here for the year and we're like, let's try to get them into school. And I got on the zoom with the head of admissions or whatever. And he's like, well, tell me about your kid. And I was like, they're just like the most magnetic person and they're really fantastic, but could use some help in like motivation. And so the guy started laughing. He's like, I got to tell you never in New York have I had an interview (laughs) with parents like this before. He's like, New York parents come in here and they're like, our child is perfect. You can, they're a genius. You can look at their SAT scores. They've never had any issues or any problems. But, and but they're, five, they're, they're five years old, perfect but they've taken the SAT. So, right. so, so let me just share. Right, with, totally. So I want to share with you that part of my job before I was at the Child Mind Institute, I started something called the NYU Child Study Center and I had to start fundraising. So you, I go to these fancy dinner parties and you sit to a you know lady to your left, a lady to your right, and they tell you stories and 20 years ago, someone, oh, my son invented penicillin. Oh, my son won the Nobel Prize. And I mean, my kid has a reading tutor. And I would go into the elevator with my wife and said, how is it that we always get stuck with the dumb kid? I mean, a Nobel Prize, penicillin. My wife, my wife says to me, they're just lying to you. They're just lying to you. It's complete bullshit. It's just the most amazing New York phenomena. This is an interesting thing, though. Like, I think it is useful for parents to start being more realistic and talking about all of this stuff. Like in a, in a very, you don't have to put your kids down. This is what I'm saying. You don't have to put your kids down, but I think being honest about what being a parent is and what being a kid is, is important for all of us. That's the whole point of scaffolding. That's exactly it. We're not, we're not, over cheerleading. We're not saying, oh, you're great because you, uh, you know, you poured a glass of milk. Thank you for pouring the glass of milk. It's terrific. But the idea of over-exaggerating is so problematic. You know, um, 30, 30 years ago or so, it was summertime. My wife was out in the Hamptons and I had dinner with another guy, you know, bachelor dinner. And he said, you know, so-and-so, he's a total wuss. He's been working for Lehman Brothers for 10 years. Why would anyone work for Lehman Brothers for 10 years? 
And, you know, I said, he must make, he must make a ton of money. You know, Harold at best, he makes half a million dollars a year. This is 30 years ago. And I was the youngest chief of child psychiatry in the country at the time. And uh, I wasn't making $100,000. He then says, you know, so-and-so, he works at Drexel Burnham. He can barely put two sentences together. He makes a million dollars. You know, so-and-so, he makes $2 million. And so I was sitting there at the table and I thought, everyone I know must make a million dollars a year. Does everyone know I don't make a million dollars a year? This is so (laughs) embarrassing. This is like the worst thing that's ever happened. And I'm too quiet. I must have twitched. And he said to me, Harold, you can't compare yourself to these people. After all, you're just a doctor. Just a doctor. (laughs) Do you have any idea how hard it was to get into medical school? So I made, you know, I made a decision that I'm not going to have dinner with this guy ever again. But more importantly, he's paying for the, he's paying for dinner. Because if he thinks 400,000, <laughs> sure. so he pays for dinner. I'm walking outside. I'm on Madison Avenue between 89th and 90th Street on the east side of the street. It's a beautiful night. And walking up the street is Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. He is shorter. He was shorter than you would have thought. He was wearing a seersucker suit and he had his jacket over his shoulder. So the blue of his eyes were absolutely unbelievable. She had blonde hair then and he had his arm wrapped around her. They clearly liked each other. I'm way too cool to say hello to them. And as they're walking up and I'm walking down, they stop me and say, hi, how are you? It's good to see you. And I say, it's good to see you too. Aren't we lucky? What a beautiful night to live in New York. I said, yes, we're so lucky. You know, we're lucky to live in the city. I said, I couldn't agree with you more. He said, well, good seeing you. Have a great evening. I said, the two of you too. I walk away and instead of feeling, isn't it amazing? Two of the most famous movie stars at the time think they know me. All I could think about was that each one of them was making more than a million dollars a year. And I thought to myself... I thought oh my to myself, God. if if they could make me crazy, it could make me feel totally inadequate, right? And I was, you know, I was the youngest child psychiatrist running a department in the country. I came home and I called my wife and my wife said to me, this is absurd. You know, you love being a child psychiatrist. If you want to make a million dollars a year, you have to go do something else. I said, I'm so upset. And she said, well, there must be a volume in the, in the messages. Take a volume, go to sleep, you'll feel better tomorrow. But the next day when I woke up, I started thinking about it. New York, but I think L.A. too and Chicago, this is a bubble. And if everyone's making a million dollars and everyone's winning the Pulitzer Prize and everyone's winning the Tony Award or the Oscar, and you have a kid who is struggling to pass math, to get a C in algebra, you as a parent, this was the beginning of scaffolding. If you as a parent don't say, I have to protect my kid, I have to give him structure and support and encouragement, and I have to celebrate the fact that he got a C plus because otherwise he's going to be diminished. I felt diminished. And I shouldn't feel diminished by someone else making a million dollars a year. And instead of being excited about seeing Paul Newman and thinking he knows me, I'm just worried about, you know, how much money is in his bank account. So we have to we have to protect our kids, whether you're living in L.A. or Chicago or New York or Miami or in rural America, where there's always someone who's going to be more successful. Someone else is going to have a slightly easier time hitting the baseball or catching the football or getting the answer right. And what we have to do for our kids is just scaffold them to say, you can do this. You know, it might be hard, but next time it's going to be a little bit easier. I I mean, this journey can be so much fun and we need some tools. Look, if you don't scaffold yourself, you can't do this. That's the truth. If you don't do self-care, you don't do childcare. If you're not sleeping eight hours, if you're not eating normally, if you're not doing some exercise 
and some spirituality, if you're not doing some mindfulness or going to church or to synagogue, you're not taking care of yourself. And you have to take care of yourself and be a good scaffold so that the building can be strong. When Bertie was going through the most sort of dramatic part of the bullying and we didn't know, I, I, did, I truly didn't know what to do and I was having such a difficult time. It was really, really, really hard. Now, Harold, I love a, I love a margarita. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like a lady who likes my chips and my guac and my margaritas. And, and I am not an, I'm not one of those like every night drinkers, but I like love, I do love margaritas. And I remember feeling this feeling like, okay, here's one thing I'm going to do. I am until this all gets figured out and I know exactly what we're doing and what the, I'm not going to drink at all. Like I'm just, I need to be as clear as I can so I can be aware as I can. So I can be like in myself, in my body, just as clear as possible. And I have to tell you, it made the hugest difference. And it wasn't forever. It was just while I currently had a kid in crisis, did I take like a step back and I'm like, here's what I need to do. I'm going to need to like continue working out, taking care of myself, but I'm also not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke pot. I'm not going to impair myself in any way for this time because I need to like be sharp and focused. You were securing yourself. Yes. For me, I think probably for everybody, (laughs) it's they, they they need to stop the rosé at dinner. You know what I mean? The fact is that if you don't secure yourself, if you don't lay a good foundation for yourself, you can't you can't help your children, you, you, especially right. during a, a catastrophe. Because if I said this is a major stressor, this will make every child mm-hmm. who had anxiety or a mood disorder before worse. This is uh, even for the healthiest kids, they are going to feel the social isolation. They're going to feel the stress. So we as parents really have a, a much harder job now than before. And we just have to, we have to scaffold them. It sounds like you're saying that that was like a realistic thing that you needed for yourself. And we were having a good conversation about being realistic in general. And I wanted to bring up something and Dr. Harold, I'm not a professional, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. I want to bring up something about being realistic as a parent that has dealt with some of this stuff in the past about being realistic. And that is, and I want to try to say this correctly. If as a parent, you feel like something's going on with your kid and you're afraid because that's a scary thing, saying something about it or not saying something about it won't make it more or less true. You're absolutely right. But you know, it's, think about it. The average parent in the United States waits two to eight years, depending on the diagnosis, uh, once they see symptoms before they go see a doctor. So that means that people are afraid that if I say it out loud, it'll mean my kid is sick or uh, very psychotic or very learning disabled or, you know, uh, or disordered. One more parent says to me, can't we just call it problems? Well, if we call it problems, it's 100% of the population. Can we call it issues? Well, if we call it issues, that's about 50% of the population. If we call it disorders, it's 20%. That's still a lot. But if you don't call it what it is, insurance doesn't cover it, you don't get accommodations, you don't get the treatment you're supposed to. So if your kid has a real reading disorder or a language disorder, the school is required to remediate it for free. 
But if you're just saying it's a little reading issue, they're going to say, I'm not paying for it. And if you don't tell your insurance company your child really has depression, it's not just demoralization. The kid's appetite, the kid's mood, the kid's sleep are really affected. The insurance company is not going to pay for it. And one of the, you know, how do I know Busy? Busy participated in this unbelievable campaign we started in 2017 called Hashtag My Younger Self. We got famous influencers to give us a video to say, I have one of these disorders. I made it through the tunnel. Don't be ashamed. Get help. But the idea that famous, good-looking, successful people can say, look, I have it. Uh, and I got better. I have to tell you, last year, Kevin Love, who's this basketball player, he said, I have a terrible anxiety disorder. I have panic attacks. And until I started taking medicine and doing more physical exercise, I was struggling. So the fact that in America, we are worried that our kids will be less than if they have a mental health disorder or a learning disorder really impairs the fact that they don't get help. Because I told you before, real, common, but remarkably treatable. Remarkably treatable. And also, if you think if you think something's going on with your kid and you say, hey, I'm worried that something might be going on with you, you're not going to make that true for them. If it if it is true, it's true. And if it's not true, it's not true. And you're not going to make it true by saying it out loud to them. You're right. not going to give them I, the idea to... No, the idea that they're going to become suicidal or depressed because you say, I'm worried that you seem very hopeless and very sad lately. You don't seem the same. Talk to me. You know? right. And I'll take it one better. You even go get them evaluated. What's the best thing that could happen? You get them evaluated and the doctor says, normal teenager, just some angst, nothing to worry right. about. So yes, it was time consuming. It cost some money, but how reassuring to be told... It's okay. It's just part of normal development. Well, this is what I was going to say to you because I know we have to let you go in a second. Um, what can like parent? What should parents be doing at home if they don't have your number in their phone? So I would tell you that. <laughs> so I would tell you that childmind.org, our website, which now I think has fifty-eight million visitors and gets almost two million unique visitors every month is really a very reliable resource of scientifically sound information. There's a symptom checker that within 20 minutes you can figure out if there's something to worry about or not, and then you could reach out and get some help. It should be reassuring to families to know that, A, we don't take money from the pharmaceutical industry. We don't let drug reps on the grounds of the Childmind Institute simply because they're always attractive, articulate, and seductive, and they bring food and pens. Just keep them away from me. And we don't take money from guns, uh, tobacco or liquor. So the fact that we are giving you scientifically sound information, we're not asking for money for it. You could just rely on us. It's supported through philanthropic, you know, uh, resources. I think that if I was worried about my child, I'd go to childmind.org and and check the symptom checker or look up on a video of what a learning disability looks like or check what's the difference between demoralization and depression. Because when crummy things happen, we feel crummy which is different than depression. And I think the more informed we are as parents, the better we are for our kids. And, and certainly I think it's yeah. time for us to be, we could all be better parents, you know, stop, heli- stop being helicopters or snow plows. Or I sometimes think I was a concierge parent, you know, can I get you a better <laughs> class? Can I get you a better, got to stop that. You want uh, independent. Mark is really, Mark, you know what Mark is? Mark's a real, um, he's a real like waiter on a cruise ship. <laughs> 
He'll get the he will get those kids anything they he want. He has to read the like, book. It he is, has to definitely read the book. I'm I can't I don't even know if I could ever mess with that. Like I think there's some part of him that like it just brings him such joy to make them exactly what but, they want. But that's to eat. different. It drives but me that's insane. Different but. than you know, not letting them ever cook. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, let's prepare the food together. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. The kids cook with, yeah, yeah no, right. The kids cook right. too. Oh, Birdie makes really good smoothies. There we now. go. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I think the child mind is such an incredible resource for parents. I just also want to reiterate, guys, we talk about mental health a lot on our podcast. We talk about our own therapists that we see. And like Harold said, remember when we used to fly on airplanes? Remember that? And they would we'd watch that video and you wouldn't be paying attention, but you know that you're supposed to secure your you know, face mask thing before you help your kids. And you have to make sure that mentally you're doing okay too. And I know this has just been such a hard time, such a hard year, over a year now for so many people. And then before that even as well. And so I really think that all of these things, it is like a pressure cooker or um, cumulative, you know, like I, I remember once having an allergist who told me that allergies are cumulative and your body like will reach a point where they're just like, oh, forget it. I cannot handle one more piece of this thing that I'm allergic to. And mental health is kind of the same way. Right. And so like everybody has been getting filled up and filled up and filled up. And so just let's make sure that you're taking care of yourselves and that will allow you to take better care of your kids and get the right help for them that they may need. Or maybe you just read the scaffold effect and implement some tools and like, then everything redraw, is kind right, of fine. Redraw the blueprint. It's still time. Well, Harold, I can't thank you enough for joining us. This was so nice and um, helpful. And I know that a lot of our listeners are going through it and they have kids that are going through it. And I know just in my own house, we've been going through it. We will get through this. We will get through it. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Harold. See you later. Um, all right. Well, there, there. That was informative. Yeah, the whole time we were we were talking to Dr. Harold, all I kept thinking is like, this is so useful for kids. Like, as someone who is a parent, so many times I was like, I really wish I had someone to ask about issues like this. I really wish I had someone to turn to. But also, like, just even before I ever had kids, I really wish I had known a lot of these things that I could have, like, applied to thinking about my own childhood. I think it's really useful for just anyone who ever has been a child <laughs> to kind of, like, be able to wrap their head around, like, here's how you know, here's how you kind of come to terms with like a lot of things that you had to deal with as a child. And here's how you, mm. you know, fix it and go forward. Yeah. And I feel like it's, I don't know. Like I, I just, I was just so blown away by when Dr. Harold was saying that, you know, the cases of like mental illness in children far surpass anything else that ails kids. Yeah. I mean, beyond. And yet we're not having, we're not holding huge fundraisers, no. generally speaking. Like no one is raising money for kids whose parents can't afford help with no. their mental health and well-being. And it's just, 
Like it, it really breaks my heart because especially like for Dr. Harold, who's somebody who's obviously like spent his entire life, um, figuring out the best ways to help kids and how they can help get teens and preteens back sort of like on the right mental health track. It, it isn't, I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's not brain surgery turns right. out. Right. It's like, actually they can do it, but they, people need resources and there need to be um, professionals that can provide these services and parents have to be willing to ask for help for their children in that specific way. And for whatever reason, still, still there's just this stigma where parents don't want to acknowledge or admit maybe that their kid might be struggling with some issues and could use some help. Yeah. And I know this from experience when parents are finally ready to say, like, I think there's something going on with my kid. A lot of times they just can't find where you're supposed to start. There just is no start line. It's just a lot of people saying like, I don't know. I don't, I, yeah. yeah. You know, and I was saying, I mean, I was saying Ashley in the interview with Dr. Harold, like, cause I do think it's important. Like even, even me, like even, even me. No, but like, even like, <laughs> that was a real Megan McCain. I really, it was a real fucking Megan McCain. Like, we, we didn't talk about Megan McCain apologizing. Oh. Even me. It was hard for me. <laughs> even me. I am from Arizona. Lest, lest you forget. But he's going to come in with three buns on top of her head and the transformation will be complete. I remember my, I remember my friend, um, Yashar, who was like, do you, like a long, a long time ago, do you know Megan McCain? I really think you got, I was like, Yashar, not a fucking chance. <laughs> uh, not one fucking chance. No. No. I'm sorry. No. I don't want to fuck Vince Vaughn anymore, and I am not going to be friends with Megan McCain. You know what is interesting about Megan McCain is I know Yashar really digs her. Andy Cohen really digs her. He has her on Watch What Happens Live a lot. And, um, you know, our friend Michael Ian Black uh, also has, like, done projects with her. And um, so what I'm saying is, like, a lot of guys really dig Megan oh. McCain. Well, no, I was going to say, we used to live in the same apartment building. Really? Um, yeah, and she's really friendly and uh, was always very friendly to me. And that's when she was on The View and I was on Full Frontal. So we both knew, you know, what each other stood for. But I it, it's I think some people have more tolerance than others for the for the thing where it's like, yeah, I go on TV and say all these things, but I'm nice in person. I'm yeah, not zero. a fan of that, but no. I think some dudes are. I have zero, I think I have zero fucking tolerance for it because, because I think that we've just so clearly seen the effect. And I think like we're living through the fucking effect right now. And it's caused so many people so much pain and unnecessarily so just for some fucking ratings. Fuck you. And there are nicer ways to get on TV, get married at first sight, go on American Idol, like if you want to be on TV, being yeah, the, ranting about other human beings is not the only option you have. It's just a <laughs> shame. It's like it's like, yeah, it's a bummer. It's a bummer that that but that people convince themselves that 
these personalities are like actual personalities in order. Oh, it's like, this goes back to the top of the show. Like sit with yourself and be honest. What is it you want? Do you want to trade in on your little bit of fame from who your parent is and try to like get more famous? Is that what your goal is? Or do you want to do good in the world? (laughs) Do you want to be of service to people? Or do you hope to maybe do both? And if that's the case, go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing it all wrong, Megan McCain. I don't know. I don't know. She just drives me fucking nuts. Because I do, do, because that is the thing. Because it feels like she does know better. Like, it feels like she is smarter than the stupid shit that comes out of her mouth. Do you know what I mean? And it feels like it's all done in order to just, like, keep up this persona to keep her fucking shitty job on a shitty show that is, like... I don't know that to like keep in headlines. Like she's saying things she's like bought into the whole thing. She's bought into it and it's fucking bullshit. Ugh, I hate it. Sorry. It's very professional wrestling and it's, <laughs> it's so weird because it's like, you know, it, the view trends like every day, you know, like Whoopi smacked down Megan McCain or Joy Behar destroyed Megan McCain or, you know, whatever. And like, so obviously that's good for the view. And it seems very sincere. Like every time Whoopi like tears Megan McCain a new one, it seems very sincere. And whenever Megan McCain's like throat turns all red and splotchy, it seems very sincere that she's like embarrassed or upset. Um, so, you know, but then, yeah, I'm like, it's, it also seems like you can't believe half of this bullshit that you're saying. Like, you know, like I do, I did have like a modicum of respect for your dad, but I do also have like a modicum of respect for her mom, you know, that they, they have their beliefs, but they Mm -hmm. also like kind of stand up when they're like, Hey, but this is also like wrong. Um, yeah, there's a line and it's sad that like, that's the bar, but people who say like, there's a line and you can cross it are now like rare and you have to respect that. Yeah. Woo. I'm all about lines. <laughs> There's a line. There are lines and boundaries. That's oh, what the love. book guy needed to learn. Some boundaries. Listen, my boundary is the threshold of the pig and whistle. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which uh, was true for me before I knew about the golf sex club, by the way, (laughs) which, yeah, which has been my factory for as long as I've lived in LA. (laughs) Oh, big and whistle. We hardly knew ye. Push oh, my elbow out of the way to go to my sexy golf party. That show. Silicon Valley. Just but everybody got canceled except for my friend Martin Starr. And Kumail. From Freaks and Geeks and Kumail. And Kumail. But they tried to come for Kumail. They listen, they tried to come for him. Did they just the because internet? Of his yes, muscles? because he got because, because he, he got, got like jacked. Remember? Oh, there, it was a controversy. You can't come for his People muscles. were being mean. I love him. I love I him, love him too. He's very nice. I worked with him very briefly and he was very lovely. Listen, and you know what? I'm never mad at any person 
who wants to like do the thing at one point in their life where they get like super in shape. Yeah. And he was he's doing it for a job, which is like a great excuse. And and the, I'm I like it. Yeah. I was watching Why don't you? I like comments. Do you know Katie Storino from yes. Mega Babe? Yeah, mm-hmm. she had posted this thing, like about some headline with Gwyneth Paltrow. I was up real early and I was kind of like a little wired. And she had posted this thing about this headline with Gwyneth Paltrow had like gained weight or something. I don't know. And Katie was like going off, like you know, these aren't headlines. This this is news. Like women's bodies aren't news. And I respond in like this paragraph basically that was like I totally agree with you and it's such bullshit but also like I do feel like we as in the people who get asked these questions have to do better about not answering them in the way that they want because no matter what like if you give them anything they're going to turn that into the clickbait headline and so it's hard because that's a hard thing to remember to do when you're doing press because you're generally exhausted you're generally doing back-to-back interviews and like your old brain like patriarchal bullshit sets in people and you're a people pleaser and you want to just like just be nice answer the question so you can fucking go home and so you know I think it's like a little complicated because I think that the onus is on not just the reporters but also on the people who are being asked the questions to say like, you know, I honestly, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go there, girl. You're not getting your clickbait headline. Um, but then I was like, but the only exception is like when Christian Bale lost all that weight for the machinist or when Hillary Swank transformed her body for the boxing movie or Kumail when he got all ripped for whatever movie it is, I have no fucking idea, but it's going to be a superhero movie. I'm sure. Like I always want to know about those body transformations. You know, in the case of Gwyneth though, like that's her whole, you know, that's her whole business plan is to like sell some detoxifying dust or whatever, you know? So. I mean, she does look good. Yeah. I mean, she just <laughs> she always did anyway. I, you know? I don't also, think if I put a rock in my vagina, I'm going to look like that. You know what I, I mean? Put, I put one exactly. in mine. I could put 50 rocks in my vagina and I'm not going to look like that. It's genetics. It's a lot of genetics, man. Not vagina rocks. It's a lot of genetics. <laughs> and Which money is a t-shirt, I think. Healthy. F- <laughs> it's genetics, not vagina rocks. <laughs> Oh my God, that's genius. It's <laughs> genetics, not vagina rocks. It's a conversation starter. <laughs> it's, if I wore it, I would have to say it's genetics, not <laughs> vagina rocks. And then in parentheticals, and a little bit of Olay. Should I cut my hair into like a little kicky bob? Look at this. Bang. When you put it back, I was like, that looks really cute. It's very Charlize. Mm. Mm -hmm. Once right after um, years ago, like 15 years ago, someone at a hotel thought that I was Charlize Theron and it was truly one of the best moments of my life. They quickly realized I was not. (laughs) But for one second, they thought that I was. (laughs) 
but I was when you got excited about and it, and I got excited, <laughs> and then they're like, "Oh no, 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 Charlize would never get this excited about." I mean, a hundred percent, right? Yes. No. <laughs> um, our listeners, Neil and Jennifer. Neil sent me a message on Instagram. Um, Neil and Jennifer are going out. They listen to the podcast together in Ottawa. And they've been each other's COVID bubble since January. (laughs) And um, Neil works for the Foreign Service and he's been given a new post and he has to leave for four years and Jennifer won't be going with him. (gasps) And... Four I really hope this uh, this isn't the first time Jennifer is hearing of this because that would be terrible. But I think she'd you, want to hear it from you. <laughs> you never know. You're guys, in a, right? Jennifer, you're in an open relationship. <laughs> just so, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But Neil mentioned that they are spending their last few days together in Ottawa. And he said it would mean a lot to her if we just said to them that they're doing their best and they're, they're doing what's best for each other by, you know, going their separate ways and um you know it's it's gonna be hard but uh Jennifer and Neil were thinking of you guys Mariah Carey Butterfly actually a great breakup song that's my contribution to the conversation Mariah Carey's Butterfly that that is yeah that is a good breakup song and um yeah it really sucks you guys but I just I think it's nice it sounds like you're parting on really excellent very grown-up terms and Mm -hmm. I super admire that and Mm -hmm. uh, I love that you wrote to us and asked us just to uh say hi to you and we love you and we love you guys yeah yeah enjoy your last couple moments together and uh, yeah, and maybe in four years, who knows? Who knows? Also, yeah, just who knows? You never know. You don't know what could happen. You never know. You never know. We truly never thought we were going to make it through the past four years in America. I didn't think Surely. we were going to make it through 30 episodes of this podcast. And here <laughs> we are. <laughs> Episode 33 or whatever. Something. <laughs> Something. <laughs> Oh my God, you guys, we love you so much. We just fucking love you. Take care of yourselves. Ashley, you are just the best. I mean, we love you, obviously. What's happening? What's going on? Like, when is your show coming back? What's going on? Tell us real fast. Oh, I cannot say. Oh, never mind. Don't tell us anything. But we don't want to know. It's a secret (laughs) when a black lady sketch show is coming back to HBO. So keep your eyes out looking for it. I don't say keep your eyes peeled because I think that's phrase is disgusting. Yeah. You know, just like when I said to cricket skin the cat, when I tried to take her, <laughs> her shirt off, you know, to put her jammies on. And she's like, that is so messed up. Mom <laughs> Cricket has really turned a corner of attitude since the haircut. And I just don't know what Ooh, to do. I love it. She's, she's like Samson. <laughs> she's more powerful. You, yeah. She got, she got she some did. power back. She got more power. She got very powerful after the haircut and she's just like very sassy (laughs) and is like not having me at all. She is not to be messed with that. One of the best things about not having kids is how much I get to enjoy that kind of thing. (laughs) Like my favorite developmental phase is when a child learns the word no and they say it to everything because I don't have to live with the kid. Oh my God. (laughs) Learning to say no is very important. 
It is. It is. And we empower our children. And that's the thing too. Like when you're like the trickiness of raising a child in which you want to make sure that like consent is always something that they understand is important and valuable. And they're always allowed to express their desires and their wants and their needs. And it starts like just basic stuff. But then they just take advantage of it. (laughs) And they just (laughs) say no to fucking everything. (laughs) That's what we would always Uh, whisper to each other. My husband and I would always whisper, if he's standing up to you, that means he'll stand up to others. That's what my mom said. Like we could always have a conversation in our house. And because my mom wanted me to be able to stand up to teachers and bosses and all this stuff. But then as adults, she was like, you talked so much. <laughs> like you just never stopped. Talk- we talked for 18 years. <laughs> you guys, I've, I feel, I feel pretty certain that Birdie is not the, a podcast listener. So I'm going to share this. <laughs> But yesterday, I've been really doing a good job. Also, here's another thing I've been doing. You know, I've been really working on my parenting. And I've been doing a good job at, like, putting my phone down, putting my own devices down, like, leading by example, right? And, like, spending time with my kids. And it's hard sometimes not to just capture those moments right onto Instagram, which I do occasionally. But even doing better about that, I feel like. But um, yesterday evening, dinner, then after dinner in my Birdie found me and it was a nonstop one-sided conversation that at a certain point I had to text Mark and I was like, I cannot do this anymore. <laughs> like you have to come. And he had tried to come in a couple times because I think he could tell that I was like, oh my God. But as soon as he would walk in, Birdie would be like, go away. We're talking. And I was like, <laughs> We are not talking. You have been talking at me for damn near four hours now. I cannot. And like, by the way, they're so smart and they know so many things and they have, they're so thoughtful and like have told me so many incredible things. But then a lot of it, I'm just like, we, yes, we went over this. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. mm -hmm. I remember. Right. I remember. Cause you just said that. Yeah. You just said that. The thing that's the same thing you just said. You know what I mean? Like I'm just like, please, God damn. Anyway, love them. I just love them. Wow, it's love fun. Them. It's all fun. It is fun. You've had that, I'm sure, Casey. Oh my gosh, yeah, I have it with my husband sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Matt does listen to the podcast, though, Casey. He does. What? <laughs> <laughs> Do your boys, do they listen? Yes, they all do. They do? They all do, yeah. Oh, that's cute. We love you guys. We love you all. All my people listen. Well, I'm glad that all of you at home listen. And I'm glad that Ashley listens and was here. And I listen sometimes. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I just have to be honest. Um, but I love you guys. And um, I hope that this week was a little bit better for you all at home it was a little bit better for me a little bit but we're gonna just keep doing our best that's all we can do right yeah 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 okay are we in agreement okay 
Yeah. We got it? Okay. Yeah. We're going to do you it. You guys. I love you. We love you. I love you guys so much. We love you. Bye, Ashley. We love you. Bye. Bye, Casey. I love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye, people at home. I love you. Bye. Oh, no.